live on cast in Northwest Central San Antonio. It's the Geek Culture Cast with your host, Dunk, Chris, and Ed. Bringing you all the geek news from around the land. Today, we have a very special episode. Do you boys know it's the 40th anniversary of the premiere of The Wrath of Khan? Khan! <laughs> Khan! Chris, what are we talking about today, buddy? On tap today, we've got the 40th anniversary of The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek II. We're going to go back and talk about the summer movies that we summer preview. somehow missed last week. Yep. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the celebration news that came out of Star Wars Celebration. Ooh, good stuff. Good stuff to be had. This episode is going to be a good one. Welcome, everybody, to the Geek Culture Cast. Eddie, how was your week this week, bud? It was great. Fantastic. What was great about it? Uh, you know, we're, we all get to live and experience a brand new day as we approach the upcoming podcast recording. That's what's great about it. I, I, I don't know who we're talking to right now. I don't know who this person is, but uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate I, him showing up for the I, I think my excitement today is because of the Wrath of Khan. Shut up! <laughs> it's because of the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> I was just going to say. Look, you task me. <laughs> you task me and you'll have it. So if you haven't figured out uh, yet, uh, Wrath of Khan is all of our, our favorites, uh, for sure. Ed is especially happy about the Wrath of Khan well, you know, as the topic Chris, today. Chris, Chris brought up just a little while ago that about 10 years ago, and I, I forgot this completely. I don't know why I forgot it, because I, I love, we love Star Trek's Wrath of Khan. Um, but 30, uh, the, on the 30th anniversary, he and I went to, uh, with a couple of other friends to um, the Wrath of Khan showing. At the 30th anniversary, where did you go to see that? I think the you, Alamo Draft House. Alamo Draft I was going to say it had to be the Draft House, right? You know, and so I watched the Wrath of Khan again last night with my wife, and um, <clears throat> I'm I'm very averse to people who quote things in movies. Okay, until it's me. <laughs> as we uh, as we did when we saw the Wrath of Khan at the thirtieth, yeah. and, and we're thinking like, if somebody's quoting in this movie, there's going to be some trouble. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know beat them up or something. And, and sure enough, it was it was uh, Chris and I that were you guys were the you guys were the culprits. <laughs> we were yeah. those people. <laughs> but you know, I, I think Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan is it's it's like a holy relic. Within the sci-fi space, right? Certainly for Star Trek, it is. Well, I, I think just in general, because it became time, in general. But but uh, let me explain what I mean by this. Well, no, I, I understand. Yeah, what yeah, you yeah. Mean. I, because at the, at the same at the same time that the Star Trek two came out, you already had a New Hope, and you had Re Revenge of the uh, um, Empire, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back. Back, right? And <clears throat> so, Star Trek two: The Wrath of Khan came out on the heels of those movies with. Um, the Revenge of the Jedi coming out the following year, mm -hmm. but it but it also came on the tales of its first movie, right? And those tales were a you know the tales between its legs kind of. Kind it of was a tough first movie. Yeah, I think it, that's the thing is understanding the state of Star Trek in the early '80s. So let's go back a little bit because I actually did a little research on this last night. Um, 1982 was when Wrath of Khan came out. The summer of 1982. Yep. Um, the state of the Star Trek franchise was not 
known at that point. Uh, the reason being is a couple years before, uh, in 79, um, Paramount had given the reins over to Gene Roddenberry to make the, the motion picture. And while the picture did make its uh, a modest return back, uh, I think it was 13 or 14 million off of what uh, it took to, to make the film, the production was plagued with trouble. Uh, Roddenberry was not cooperating in any way, shape, or form. Um, with with Paramount as a movie studio, and um, a a pretty straightforward budget uh, ballooned up to like forty four million dollars, and so Paramount, um, being the company that they are, um, which is not great if you if, if you've ever known Cheap. Paramount, um, were reluctant to give. Uh, another movie back over to Roddenberry. So while Roddenberry was a producer on The Wrath of Khan, he actually had nothing, very little to nothing to do with it. Um, and there are some key points that are interesting about um, the changes that he did make um, that probably saved the film, in all honesty. Um, there's a, a, a new uh, director for this one, as far as Star Trek is concerned. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm Nicholas there was a new director, Thank you. there was a new executive producer. It, it was a whole new group of writer. Harv Bennett was the executive producer. Um, um, who, who, who did you say again, Chris? Uh, um, Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas was the director. Meyer was the director. Uh, and just to give you a little bit of context, um, Nicholas Meyer knew not a lot about Trek. He, he knew some, I mean, knew what Trek was. He didn't know certainly what you know, too much about the story. And this actual story of the Wrath of Khan went through, I want to say like 10 iterations as a script to get it right. Th this thing was all over the place as it was in development at Paramount. Well, they didn't know what they were going to land on. They didn't know if it was going to be Wrath of Khan. They didn't know. know if, so once they, once they fell upon this, the, the space seed, Right, association from T.O. Well, this was Nicholas Myers doing. He, he, well, him and Harv Bennett, one of Harv Bennett's major problems with the first movie was there was no clear-cut enemy. There was no big bad in it. Right. It, it, was, a, it was a thinker. It, it, was, um, it was Roddenberry getting to, into his yep. own head a bit. Um, and while I don't necessarily have a problem with the first, the, the motion picture, Star Trek the motion picture, it's boring. It's not very exciting. I mean, the, ma the majority of the opening, not the opening sequence, but maybe the first 30, 35 minutes, it, it's, it's filler video, you know. It's brutal to, filler video. long, yeah. Take up. I mean, they, they, they actually go through the entire soundtrack almost in this whole thing, listening to each, you know, uh, p you know piece yeah. as they go around the Enterprise or as they go and look into something else. and. My wife and I are just sitting looking at each other. I remember how hard it was yeah. the first time that I watched it. Um, when I was a kid, I may have fallen asleep during the movie. I guarantee you I know. did. Um, but we were both looking at it. My, my wife is newer to all of these. And mm -hmm. I was trying to say, yeah, we need to go back and watch you know, yeah. these, these yeah. movies and, and introduce you. And we were doing it. And she was like, oh, my God. What? There's... Is this all the movie? <laughs> They're just circling the, the ship. ship and well, they had done it. They had done a new. The Enterprise A was the new ship. It had the the, sh the original Star Trek uh, Enterprise had been refit from the from the original. So um, Roddenberry was very impressed with the refit and wanted to show us. <laughs> so very, we we, we got impressed. a lot of shots of the spaceship. I think they were also doing a bit of a lessons learned from 
what we saw with Star Wars and the use of models and rotating cameras around models from Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back because we got a lot of, like you guys are talking about, the we got a lot of these outside establishment shots of the Enterprise in the motion picture. Yeah. Slow, let's rotate the camera around this nice model we built and... Yeah, you know, show you our superimposed people in spacesuits that are kind of well. I can tell you the technology of the time, though. Yeah, well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, Like, I think it was new at the time. It's like some mediocre student in a shop class that wants to show you his, you know, nowadays. Nowadays, yeah, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. His recently built mailbox, and he was like, "Look at my thing." Yeah. Now I really like these rivets that I did right here. Look at these. Oh, look, we put people in the windows. Let me show you my stapler. My stapler. Look, look at my. I'm like, oh my god, just stop. Give us dialogue. Give it, us script. It was brutal. The first show or the first movie was, it was painstakingly Star Trek. Well, and Paramount felt the same way because it was uh, a brutal production. It was way over. It was like twenty, thirty million dollars over budget, um, and um, to say that the studio was not happy with Roddenberry is scratching the surface on that one. Um, so th- there's been a lot out in in the metaverse about kind of the the pre-production and the run-up to the shooting of this film and one of the things i didn't understand is just how precarious star trek really was as far as a franchise and and it coming back or not this this was actually supposed to be a tv movie originally now uh, i in my research a lot of the uh executives came out and said oh no no this was always supposed to be a motion picture, but it's BS, and they, they're caught in a lie because um, there's there's just as many other people saying no, no, <laughs> we were we were producing this for TV. When it became a motion picture, of course, the budget then uh, became more because it had to because uh, stuff on a on a big screen just looks different than stuff on on your TV screen, especially back in 1982 when we're all on um, you know big heavy CRT two TVs, um, and so. Leading up to um, this kind of reshuffling of the guard, getting Harv Bennett in there, getting Nicholas Meyer in there uh, to to finish uh, this movie, which was, by the way, when they started pre-production, was not the script was not finished, and it was all over the place. The reason Nicholas Meyer was hired is because um, the head of the studio had seen he was able to quickly rewrite. And, and when I say quickly, he turned around a, 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 another script in a matter of weeks. Uh, that that worked, that he was able to get work in, in the picture that he'd done previously to this. And so the studio was quite confident that he could do it again uh, with with Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. And throughout the uh, iterations, it, it ultimately is Nicholas Meyer's vision that we see on, on film uh, with a couple of key um, additions that Roddenberry had made based on notes he gave um, during the production. And one of them, which I thought was very interesting, I want to get you guys' feedback on this, was that um, Roddenberry had a problem with how militarized the Federation had gotten. In Meyer's original screenplay, there were uh, a lot of saluting. We see, we hear the, 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 uh, the horn that they play when uh, Admiral Kirk uh, boards the Enterprise for the first time to do the inspection. Um, all, all of that was much to Rodberry's chagrin. He, Rodberry really ha- had leaned heavily into the idea that um, the crew of the Enterprise were not um, uh, warriors. They were uh, um, 
Or what am I trying to say? Yet? They were... Um, they were discovery... Discoverers. Yeah, discoverers. Explorers. Explorers. Thank you, Chris. Um, they were explorers um, with a ship that could, you know... Explore. Throw, 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 throw some photon torpedoes when needed, but sure. that was not its primary goal. So... Uh, the scene where Kirk is going through and, and doing the inspection, evidently there was a lot of saluting going on. Um, one of Roddenberry's notes that got in there is cut all that crap out. That's got to go. Um, that's that's not what the Federation's about, nor what, what it would do, unless you're in the mirror universe. Um, uh, you know, Nicholas Meyer didn't know enough to know uh, that he had kind of done wrong there. Of course, so he he deferred to Roddenberry, and that's why well, he's I, your you know, it, I, I think to his credit, he... Star Trek really didn't know what it was becoming yet. Not at that and, point. And I, th- and I think, you know, Gene Roddenberry's initial utopian um, look at space and, and the final frontier and, and whatnot, um, you, you kind of see that within the first one, and it becomes so ver- so underwhelming in, in the way that it's presented right. to, to an audience that doesn't care for that yet be- because we've just lived through Vietnam. Yeah, we, we've just come out of um, you know civil rights, um, and we're still trying to to gain our way and 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 foot and and step into this new normal, right? The difference between 1964 and 1982. Well, up to 1982, I mean the the, the, de- I, the, the development. I, I'm of, just saying in our history as a as a sure country. Sure. Yeah. 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 Now the the initial the, the initial. Um, um, Series that the four or five years that it was on, yeah, um, were instrumental in in helping our our social journey, right? As as we see race relations and 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 um, international relations and, and help that develop, right? This is the first time that we see a a, a woman, let alone a black woman, in a, in a role like this. This is what made the show this so is, good. This is yeah, the first time that we really see you know an Asian American mm-hmm. in a role this big, mm-hmm. you know. Um, um, the the interracial um, dialogue that happens within this entire you know whether it's alien green alien whatever <clears throat> those things are beginning to push the um, vanilla envelope yeah as we move forward but at the point that Star Trek the Wrath of Khan comes out we really haven't understood what Star Trek is going to become and how it's leading the conversation of um, social progression within our within our country right and, and so you know it, it's it's difficult gene ronberry wants it his way yep which you know he, he has a claim to to some degree but at the same time we we have the the uh the corporation that also wants to make a buck from this right <clears throat> and, and putting up all the money for it as well and putting yeah. up all the money for it you know so there has to be a negotiation i think the negotiation a, yeah. that eventually came to was a a great defining moment for the Star Trek franchise. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I think one of the other things that you know w- was a lessons learned from the the first movie was that relative to Star Wars, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, where you have John Williams inserted into the soundtrack and the score and the script, where where they're where they're aligned so well, you didn't see that within the first movie of of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, and so they brought in James Horner. Yeah. Right. Right. Who has these incredible, fantastic, um, um, as this, this fantastic score. And he goes on to do Star Trek three also. <clears throat> but if you're not familiar with, um, Horner, um, he, he's no longer, um, alive. He died in mm-hmm. 2014, 2015. Yeah. 
Um, but he did the scores for Titanic. He did the the score for Beautiful. Very Mind. accomplished guy. Yeah. Brave, he did the Braveheart. score for Aliens and Braveheart. And, yeah. You know. Um, so some of his early, early work was within the Star Trek universe. Right. You know, and it, there are <clears throat> iconic pieces within the within the movie that are associated with his score. When when you start when you see the Reliant and you associate it with 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 Khan, so that that uh, that Khan perspective. When you see the Enterprise, you know, and that's we begin to start to see within Star Trek. Um, the association of music and its association to specific um, villainy or or heroes or scenes. There's or, a theme. There's a thematic. There's a thematic association with the, with the music to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the movie, and you know <clears throat> it's interesting because you can it, with movies going forward, you can start to associate those themes now with Klingons or with Vulcans or right. with you know Borg or whomever is coming in. Well, and I think that's all due to this film. I, I think without uh, uh, without <clears throat> Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, um, none of this would have, would have been. You know, N- if, none of the Star Trek now would if, have been. If there are sacred scrolls that we were taking down as we discussed the, can- the sci-fi canon in general within this genre, you know, along with Star Wars and along with, um, you know, the A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, Star Trek Wrath of Khan is right up there with them. Absolutely. Movie, Absolutely. Know? Yeah. I think uh, I was telling the boys this before we started, but um, the thing that I remember about Wrath of Khan was um, <clears throat> that I wasn't a big Star Trek fan until Wrath of Khan. Um, my mom was. My mom was a huge Star Trek fan, and so we definitely watched it in our home. Um, however, um, it was a little too old for me and, and out of place in time in my life when I watched the original series at that age. Of course, you, you go back and you get them and, and it's all good. But at that age, I was eight or nine. Um, I just was not a fan of Star Trek like I was a fan of Star Wars um, until I saw Wrath of Khan. Now, Wrath of Khan did a couple things in, in 1982 in that that summer theater uh, in Amarillo, Texas. First off, it scared the hell out of me. There's some scary parts of Wrath of Khan for an eight-year-old. Um, I mean, they're not now, but they were back then. And I remember, uh, you know, kind of hide my eyes on some of the scenes that, that came up in that film. But also, I just remember at the end of it thinking, oh, my gosh, I, I had no idea Star Trek was this good. I love this. This is great. And that made me a Star Trek fan from then on. And, and that fanhood, unlike Star Wars, which I, you know, I think uh, I'm probably a much bigger Star Wars fan than Star Trek, but for whatever reason throughout my life, Star Trek became more approachable to me. And I actually, I, I did work with Paramount. I've interviewed a lot of the actors that, that made up that original uh, crew um, and um, had a lot of really amazing experiences because of Star Trek um, that I would not have had a, 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 either a, a, without it, without my appreciation and love for it. So I always thought that was interesting um, because I, I certainly did not come to Star Trek on my own. Uh, I was certainly led there. Chris, what about you? 1982, the summer of 1982, what did you see? So I the con in the theaters. I, I don't recall. I have no living memory of seeing it. Gotcha. I, I'm not going to tell you I didn't, but I can't. Yeah. I certainly can't tell you I did either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I saw this Star Trek two and Star Trek three were because they aired on HBO. My grandparents and my dad were able to record those. We didn't have cable growing up, but my grandparents did. Yeah. So 
my dad would cart a VCR over to my my grandparents and record these on on these er, on the early VHS. So when players. Chris says cart a VCR, literally, I know exactly what he means because VCRs in the early eighties, late seventies, early eighties, literally, they look like um, what what would they what would they even approach the size of now? I mean, I, yeah, like, that's a good question, but I remember it probably being about nine to ten inches tall. Yeah. And maybe about eighteen, like to a large suitcase. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be exactly it—a suitcase. Yeah. 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 Um, right. And so you literally—I mean, sometimes you had to have two people to pick these damn things up. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I remember is because my dad was in TV news, and he would bring home decks for us to record stuff on TV every once in a while. Yeah. My dad was always an early adopter. Yeah, of yeah, of that stuff. Right but, on, right but on. Yeah, that, this was a this was a movie that for me. Um, I knew Star Trek a little bit prior to that, mm-hmm. um, just from original series reruns. We didn't have Next Generation or anything, obviously, at that time. So I had some familiarity with it. I'd seen the first movie. I like you guys. You're a couple had, years younger too, so you were. My, I was seven. Were yeah, little... I was seven years old when when Wrath of Khan came out. Got it. Got it. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, this one. So this movie and Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock to me are Love like those. the quintessential. Me too pair of and people bag on search for spock and we'll talk about that down the line when we get to talk about that movie but yeah these two to me this is this when i when i watch this and i'm watching to prepare to prepare for this show um every time i watch this this movie i'm flooded with just waves of like nostalgic feelings yeah the soundtrack uh, james horner's score to me i think is the fact that a lot more of this score has not been used in later movies or later um Iterations of Star well because Trek. it was specifically written for this film. It so, was, yeah. but there but there are themes. What what I found interesting is there are themes that Horner establishes, like you guys were talking about. So there's the the minor light string uh, use of light strings in an orchestra. Um, you know, skirting a lot of minor scales uh, is something that's very reminiscent with Vulcan mythology now and, and oh, okay. including into strange new worlds they incorporate bits of that so you can still see the influence to to this day yeah. even if it's the, not the same he was also one of the thing. early adopters of electronica you know in in his like synthesizers and synthesizers yeah. and things like that you can start to hear the that electronic form as it converges with with his uh musicals in particular in the, with a lot of the <clears> battle a lot of the battle, uh, a lot of oh, battle yeah, spend yeah. scenes yeah well yeah. and 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 it, uh especially in 1982 i could definitely remember this was the age of the synthesizer. This is when this technology was brand new. I think at the same time this came out, you, you also had E.T. coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? You had, a, you had a several big movies. The, the summer of 82 was a monster summer for movies. Yeah. You, yeah yep. you, you had, you're one year away from Return of the Jedi. You had, in that same year, um, you oh, shoot, I just looked at this, too. I can't remember for the life of me what they were. But there were some big pictures coming out at that same time. Um, and, e. and Poltergeist, e. Conan the Barbarian, yeah. on Rocky That's Three, right. The Road yeah. Warrior, Fast Times Original. It's ridiculous how how many amazing flicks that that are still loved to this day, mm. um, and, and and nostalgically appreciated, came out that summer. And and younger folks, this is what you have to understand: throughout the eighties to about eighty seven, eighty eight, this is what we got every summer. Every summer we had nonstop must see movies that were original and um, very, very cool. And it was so cool. It was so uh, mainstream. We didn't even know how cool it was. We didn't even know that this was going to be a golden age of, uh, of new cinema 
that we were getting to experience. And and Wrath of Khan is definitely right up there with some of those major pictures uh, of that era. The naming of this this film is interesting too. In very reading, yeah, I was reading some of the same stuff. I think you read, yeah. And um, looking at how many right names now, did they so, go through? Well, it, the the working title actually that almost made it was the Vengeance of Khan, right? And uh, they felt that that was too close to the upcoming Star Wars. Well, that's what the called. studio wanted. That's what and, the studio yeah. wanted. Yeah. It was called Revenge of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. And then later when they so they changed it to not be too closely associated. I with think that, it was to another, Wrath of another title was the Genesis Project. It was the Genesis Project, <laughs> the um, Undiscovered Country, which, which actually was very much later a, yeah. a, a movie later on. Yep. Um, what was funny about that story about the naming of of Wrath of Khan is uh, <laughs> evidently um, Myers went back and forth with uh, the studio about this this name, and and ultimately just because a Revenge of the Jedi had been kind of let out there before um, Luke has changed it to Return of the Jedi. Um, that's ultimately what discouraged the, 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 the studio from, from naming it Revenge of Khan and, and back the to the Wrath of, of Khan. The Vengeance yeah. of Khan, back to the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, and it's interesting when you talk about it leaked, because there was actually several things that leaked yeah. uh, back in the day, including things about this movie. And did, did you know who the leaker was? I don't. <laughs> There's a lot of conjecture that Roddenberry himself was the leaker on some of the stuff that he didn't agree with so that he could get fan reaction that would might somehow change the studio's mind on some of the decisions they had made. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting yeah. how that parallels some. Well, and he never admitted to it, but that's that's the the understood story. And the funny thing is this was all pre-internet. So when you talk about leaks, right. this is leaks that would essentially go to like Starlog magazine and those or, kind of or things. Or a TV yeah. interview of some sort yeah. or something the, like the, that. Yeah. The first leak, if I remember correctly, came from the Times. Yeah, and yeah that's right. The that's Times right. said, Spock dies? No. Yes, that's that's the headline, you know, exactly. In which I, I think there there's... Um, Potential uh, Roddenberry influence there. Oh, right. that was definitely yeah. Roddenberry. Oh, hey, time, yeah. you want to know what happens? Yeah. Put this out there. Let's see what your fans say about well, it. Well, and another interesting thing about this is that Leonard Nimoy was done with Spock at this point. He was done with the character. He'd famously written a book, I Am Not Spock, by Leonard Nimoy, um, differentiating himself from, from the character that he felt he had become typecast and kind of pigeonholed into, and not necessarily by the studios, more by the fanhood, the fandom. Uh, I think, um, you know, look, I, I've met Leonard Nimoy on a couple of occasions, actually, and he's an interest or was an interesting cat, uh, in my opinion, just from those limited interactions. I interviewed him once and I actually um, was uh, backstage at um, the 25th anniversary of Star Trek in Huntsville, Alabama. I worked for Paramount for that event. And so we got to meet all of the actors and all of the characters as we interviewed them for this 25th anniversary of special that Paramount was doing. Um, and I just happened to get a freelance gig working for them because uh, I knew somebody. And um, Leonard Nimoy, out of all of the main cast, I felt was the most interesting in that he was the most aloof. He didn't talk to anybody. Um, I saw an interaction with him and um, the actor that plays Pavel Chekhov. Um, name check, Chris. Who, who, who's the actor? Hey, that, Walter. Hey, Walter Kinnick. Thank you, Ed. Um, and and Walter is sitting in the back behind the stage, getting ready to go on. They all were getting, you know, were taking their turns going on for the 
for the dais uh, discussion or what have you. And Leonard Nimoy walks by Walter, and Walter looks up and sees it's Leonard, and he goes, oh, hey, Leonard, how are you doing? And shakes his hand like they had only met once or twice, you know, 40 years ago. It was the weirdest interaction I'd ever seen, simply because I knew these two gentlemen to be characters on this beloved show of mine, where they were, of course, friends and shipmates and, and had had scenes together. And, and that's when I cu- that's when I came to understood the division between the cast in the original series and how Bones and, and uh, you know McCoy and Kirk and Spock were, and those actors kind of did their thing, and then the rest of the cast did their thing. That, that's, was a, very, that's a that's a cool it's cool to hear the, your description of that. Yeah, and then the parody Galaxy Quest. Yes, you know. Yes, where where you you see the. The, the rigor that's associated to his character and, and how he is off screen. Galaxy Quest is the is the the Tim uh, um, Tim Allen Tim Allen vehicle that is very much a, a parody and a love letter to Star Trek and its fandom. Yeah, uh, I, I just love that picture. And the reason it's bringing it up is because we kind of can't talk about one without talking about the other because of um, their their connection even though it's just a kind of a fandom thread still when we look at galaxy quest we know what that is about we know what it's supposed yeah. to be and they, they bring in so many different um uh um characterizations throughout the years from star trek a lot lot of archetypes you know, in archetype, that film yeah. for there's, each there's, of the actors there's yeah. the, the wesley archetype yep. there's the spock archetype yep. there's the kirk you know and and you know, it's 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 interesting to see how they they um, implant that in, in the Galaxy Quest. If you have not seen Galaxy Quest out there, and I'm sure most of you have, but if you have not, you need to stop the podcast right now. We're okay with this. Go watch Galaxy Quest because it is a delightful two hours of a film and worth every single second. I love that movie. It's so good, Chris. What I mean, as far as the correlations between the two. I mean, I really don't feel like you could have one without the other. Um, it, it just wouldn't be as good. It wouldn't be as, as oh, funny. Are you talking about Galaxy Quest? Galaxy Quest, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and the thing with Galaxy Quest is you don't necessarily have to be a big fan of Star Trek. No, not it. at all. You don't just, have to be a fan uh, uh, yeah. at all. Yeah. I think, uh, but the more of a fan you are, I think the more, the more take away. Yeah. yeah, 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 for I think, sure. Yeah, for it sure. really gets a lot more enjoyable. There, there's another movie that you'll have to watch if you have not seen it. Yeah. It includes William Shatner. Oh, I know! I know exactly what you're going to say. It includes William Shatner, and I don't know how I I was able to find this movie. I, I found it when I lived in Austin. I can tell you, w- working at you know how I found this movie. I, I know exactly how you found the movie. Okay. Well, what's the movie first off? It's called Free Enterprise. For, I've not seen this. Free Enterprise. So how did I jump on this? So movie? I had I had a subscription to a magazine called DVD Magazine back okay. in the day. And the oh, reason wow. I, I remember that the magazine. only reason I got the subscription to the magazine was it included a we didn't have DVD burners at right. the time. And this included all of the first Star Wars fan film called Troops. Oh, that's right. Remember Troops, and yes. it was a cops parody. Yes. Uh, so this Troopers. included, uh, it was called Troops. Yeah. Oh, it was it called Troops? Yeah. I and, I anyway, this was the first version of Troops that was actually all on DVD. So back oh, in the day, so all funny. I had it on was my hard drive right. in crummy quality. And this was like, no, this was as close to like the real thing you're going to get. Yeah. So I got a subscription to this magazine, and one of the things it included on there was a, um, a trailer for Free Enterprise that had 
Shatner's rapping scene on it that at, at the end. Oh. And I knew Ed at the time when Ed and I were working at a tech company in Austin where I met him. Yeah. Ed would always quote Star Trek too. This is one of the things we first started bonding over. <laughs> and what he would be That's a he big would, quoter. He would talk talk in Shatner Shatner-isms. Yeah. And he was real big in a talk. So I was yeah. like, dude, you've got to see, check out this DVD of this this thing. It's just so ridiculous. We didn't have YouTube back then to show. Right, right. right. So he takes his DVD and all, and then the next thing he's like, dude, I've actually seen the movie. I was like, you seen the movie? He's like, yeah, man. It was showing at this some theater, like art house theater. Oh, it must have been shown at the Dolby. And that oh, might have been okay. the Dolby, yeah. Okay. And, and you were like, and yeah, that scene's in there. It's at the end of the movie, you know, the the rap scene. But yeah, this. What movie, is the rap scene about for those of us that haven't seen? So it? so the movie. Yeah. Is about these these two geeks like us, right? But these, these are super geeks, right? 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 And um, they go a little deeper than us. They're real they like tra- real trekkers. Um, they, they don't have the, partners. The, one of them is Eric McCormick, uh, Will from uh, Will and Grace, mm-hmm. and the other one is uh, I, I don't really know. I think his name is Rafe. Um, that that's who's Rafe, in the film. Rafe or Weigel, yeah. And um, and Shatner, Shatner's in it. Okay, so these guys are living in L.A. And they want to break into, or one of them at least, wants to break into the movie scene. He's a producer. He's doing other things. He's got an idea for a story. Um, <clears throat> Shatner is their, Kirk is their guy. Yeah. Though he's their guy. So coincidentally, um, I, I believe one of the main characters is going through a bookstore, and he sees Shatner like g- shopping at this half-price bookstore. Okay. Whatever it is. Um, and so he... Approaches him. It turns out that Shatner is playing this uh, characterization of Shatner. Incredible, just like he does uh, um, um, uh, Denny Craig. He, he yeah. he's like playing a, a a kind of a twist on himself. Is that yeah. what he's doing? Okay, he's, he's, gotcha, playing, gotcha. he's playing a twist, just, just like Denny Craig. Look, look you know, curb is, your enthusiasmisms is, or, yeah. or what have you. Have yeah. you seen Boston Legal? By the way, I have seen Boston okay. Legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's almost the reason I keep saying Denny Craig is because. There's part of Danny Craig in this William. Oh, Patton I see. I see. Because that that's probably who he was playing <clears throat> at the time. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, he realizes that he, this guy is super nuts. <laughs> he is just super crazy. He says, you know, I, I want, in, in so many words, he says, I, I want to produce, star, and write a one-man movie based on um, um, Shakespeare's Caesar. And the guy said, wait, wait, you want to stab yourself in the back? Yeah. How's that going to happen? Right. You know, <clears throat> and so the end of the movie um, is a rap sequence where Shatner is is um, is rapping uh, something called No Tears for Caesar. <laughs> and it starts off with the famous, you know, qu- the, 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 the famous um, monologue from, from uh, Caesar. Friends, Romans, countrymen. Let me your ear. Lend me your ears. That's funny. And uh, it, it's it's incredible because there's there's a rap sequence in there, and they've got the artists that are doing them, and <clears throat> the, the rap artists that are I keep keep calling them TJ Hooker. You know, oh, that's awesome. Hey, Hooker. Hey, TJ. <laughs> hey, blah blah blah. You know, and it's it's it's, just, it's it's a really if you haven't seen Free Enterprise, I got to see it, this now. It's a yeah. B, it's a B movie. I love it, but it's got some some great. Um, geeky stuff that's happening in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I I actually um, met Shatner on a couple <laughs> occasions um, during 
uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, um, working uh, at Paramount, but working around the Paramount thing. The 25th anniversary was one where I actually got to sit down and interview him. Um, and I found Shatner to be very, very confusing. <laughs> Come on. Dude. Uh, no, I mean, you know, you know, just, that's going to always be the case. Just a me. confusing cat because when the camera was off and we were just talking, he was a lovely human being. Lovely human being. He was very nice, very warm and friendly. Not at all what I expected. I expected him to be a big star, you know, that, that kind of D-bag. Um, the moment we turned the lights on and started filming, he was a different cat. It was really quite odd and, and creepy. Di- and a, different how? He was Kirk. He was Shatner. He was the Shat. You know what I mean? He he just turned on. And he he moved from this... Very warm, very polite gentleman. Still warm and polite, don't get me wrong, but it was very much I'm It was almost a, a Karen star. Like I, I, that, it was. I hear that, and I think of, yeah. like, I've read that pro wrestling personalities yes. were like that, too, in the 80s. They would be one thing the minute the camera was on. Yeah. And it's like, and if you saw them on the street, they're still that character. Right. They weren't allowed to, like, be themselves. Right. Except around their... That's sad. Their uh, circle, and that's... What's sad? Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah, kind of, that's what I'm thinking of And when it you was said sad in this situation because we had an opportunity to get a really great interview with... That's like a this Pavlovian response for, for actors or what It, 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 it is. And, and definitely actors of his era, stars were stars. He was a big star at one time, and, and, and still was, arguably... At this point, this was 1996 um, when this was all going down. And um, while I still enjoyed my interview with Shatner and, and still enjoyed that time because it was William Shatner, I very much more enjoyed speaking to Leonard Nimoy and, and uh, DeForest Kelly. Uh, DeForest Kelly, in my opinion, is one of the single greatest Star Trek actors ever. He's just an amazing guy. <clears throat> He, he was amazing to talk to for the 10 minutes I got to speak with him. He, he's been amazing in every interview and everything that I've seen him on since. And I just have a lot of appreciation for the way that guy handled himself. Do y'all, do y'all know how Khan was, was um, chosen? Like, do, do you know, were there other people besides Ricardo, Ricardo Montalban? that were identified as potential players for for that character? This is a really good question and actually an interesting story because when they approached Ricardo Montalban about doing... He didn't want to. He didn't want yeah, to. He didn't, he didn't want, want to. to. He read the script. It was, he, in his, okay, so you have to understand, in 1982, Ricardo Montalban is coming off of Arguably the most popular show on television. Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island. Island. That's he right. He had five seasons. Five already. seasons. Five seasons. Bonkers rating yeah. seasons. I mean, the, the show was popular. It was a must-see thing every Friday night. It was advertising Corinthian leather. Oh, yeah. I mean, supple <laughs> <laughs> Corinthian leather. Yeah, I mean, it was he was a big deal. So when they came to him with this, and, and you have to understand the economics of the situation. Um, Star Trek The Motion Picture was made for $44 million. That was not its original budget. Its original budget, I think, was twelve. It it Roddenberry lost his way on that film. Yeah. And you can see it. You can see it in the production. You can see it on the on the cellulose at the at the end of the movie. To to combat that, to fix that, <clears throat> Paramount said, "Okay, we want we want another Star Trek. We want a sequel. However, you could do it for eleven million dollars, so a, a third of the original budget, um, maybe a little bit less, 
And Roddenberry is not allowed to touch anything in this production. We'll, we'll name him a producer. His, his title on the film is Contributing Producer, which, if you don't know, doesn't mean dick in Hollywood. It means that you are part of it somehow. Yeah. But uh, on the Paramount lot at the time, Roddenberry was actually working on other projects. He, he was not there during filming. He was not there. Yep. And all he really did was give notes on the script as it came out. So it was a very, it was definitely a changing of the guard. It was definitely a different time in Hollywood. And to get back to Ricardo Montalban, he just didn't think it was a meaty enough part for him. He wanted to do something different. He wanted to really, as all actors do, once you make it, you want to do what you want to do, what you got into acting for. That's the whole point. And that's where Ricardo Montalban was at this point in his career. So when they came to him, he's like, no, no, I don't want to do that. He read the script. He goes, oh, I really don't want to do it now. There's not much of a part for me. But it's funny. I watched an archived um, uh, uh, interview with Ricardo Montalban on just this point. And he, his words are profound. He says, then I looked at it again. I looked at the script again, and I figured, you know what? When I'm not on screen, when They're I'm not on, 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 uh, in the script – the other cast is speaking about me. So it really, it, he really was a, a major lead in this film. Of he course was, he was. He was the primary character. Well, Harp Bennett's, uh, when, when the studio came to him and they said, Harp, how are you going to fix Wrath of Khan? He said, look, um, uh, well, how are you going to fix the second movie? Not Wrath of Khan, but how are you going to fix the second movie? He said, look, the second movie needs a, a, a true bad guy. We didn't have a, a real bad guy in the first film, and you didn't. Uh, you had some weird outer mind trip journey. It's more like uh, just a big episode. Yeah, yeah, it was. It really episode. was. A big, long episode that, that probably could have had about a third of it cut out and still would have been just fine. Yeah. Um, and so um, it really was important that they got uh, Ricardo Montalban for this. And and Ricardo also says that he went back and watched the original episode, uh, Space Seed, that he, he was he, in. When he was... When he was Going through and preparing for it, right. you to watch it four times. That's right. right? That's so right. Exactly. He, he, I think one of the things that I think think we all may have watched the same one. We may have. Yeah. Um, is that when he was preparing for this role, he realized he had to go back because in his head he sounded like, um, um, fantasy Island. Fan, fantasy right, right. Right. Yeah. He had to get back in the con Mr. space. Mr. York. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's it's interesting. I, the initial question though was. Were there other people who were in line for this role other than Ricardo? I've never heard anybody mentioned. There were, but I've never heard who they were, and I don't know that anybody really knows because once he was attached to the picture, that was it. And, and it, it's so difficult in my head to identify somebody else besides Ricardo Montalban. There would have been somebody else that would, could have done it. They sure. would have not been the same. I mean, they would, they would have given their take on it. And, but, but Absolutely. But right now, in my head, there is no other con. Well, we, and we've done that, right? We've done that in modern history. We, we brought back con uh, as bi, bi, or, or, uh, cover we, batch. We retconned con. We retconned con. It was awful. It was horrible. The, the, and not just... And look, I, I, I love Benedict Cumberbatch. I do too. I, I, he's I was, one of my faves. I was watching Benedict And I know he's one of your faves why, too. Back yep. in the day when yep. Sherlock was on. Yep. Before anybody knew who he was. Right. I was, I'm, I was and still am a Cumberbatch fan. He's a Cumberbatch. But, but... Yes. The, the whole idea of this new, this new universe con and how he develops, it's, it, 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 it 
sits outside of my Star Trek comfort zone. Well, they tried to put on their their specialty big boy uh, retcon pants, and um, in the end, I think um, he he just got a little caca so, in his panties. So I don't even have a kind of shut the bed. Like, uh, time is time has been a little better for that movie for me, we're, and we're talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. Into Darkness, yeah. Um, time has been a little bit better, a little cr- kinder to that movie in my eyes, only because. It's a different timeline. It's you know, it is a different timeline. But they, they, they tried they, to do so much. Well, it, it wasn't even what they tried to do. It was that they tried to do too much. To they tried to basically die. first they tried to divert and say this wasn't con. Then we spring they spring it us that it is con. And then the minute they say this is con to us the viewers, they do everything they can to try and recreate all the iconic scenes out of and the it's just shoehorned and, it, and it's like it's rather than brutal. do something different, which yeah. is basically what the whole Kelvin timeline is the whole about, point is it's a different take on things. Rather than do that, they literally just try and recreate moments straight out of this movie and yeah. that, that one. And, and that's, honestly, that's the big problem I have with it. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris. And I, I didn't necessarily have a problem with the movie when it came out. Oh, I Although, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did. And as much as I'm like, what? What are we doing? But, but I, I can still watch it and enjoy the film for what it was. It's not con. It's nowhere close to con. Cumberbatch and Ricardo Montalban are about as far apart as characters as you could possibly make that and have any correlation between the two. And I think that's where J.J. Abrams really got it wrong. To your point, Chris, we're going to rewrite history. We're going to totally wipe the slate clean, and then we're going to go back and retcon a story that we've already heard before. That's just so yeah, dumb. Rather than do something That's just new, so dumb. I, I, even him casting as Khan, I, you know, you, you kind of get used to it, you know, as you watch the movie. But again... It, it's hard I, for me. It's hard for me to not compare this to the Wrath of Khan when you literally take exact scenes and all you say is, "Oh, it's not Spock." And, and you know the, the, the interesting know, like, thing about Into Darkness, Into the Darkness, um, the episode that that Khan was the Khan before the original series con. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So they haven't even built up the level of animosity. He's not even there yet. Which is exactly. which is one of the which things is, that made that really d- disingenuous. But in, but not only the, the other the second thing when we talk about disingenu just disingenuity um is the relationship between Spock and Kirk. Yeah, they tried to they rushed everything. They, they rushed it. I mean when when we have the um the the part where Spock is giving of himself or Kirk is giving of himself or, you know, one is saying, Khan, no, whatever. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that is done after so many year, years of a built-up friendship. As Absolutely. A matter, as a matter of fact, in The Wrath of Khan, you know, uh, Spock says, I am and forever will be your friend. Right. You know, they were nowhere near that relationship in, in this this new... Not even close. And, and, and Ra- Wrath close. of Khan. Wrath of Khan's really... Uh, in the original series, we got Spock mentioning, uh, passing mentioning of Kirk being his friend, but yeah. we really didn't get a ton of that level of brotherhood. Uh, that level of brotherhood, exactly. Right, I think this right. is this is the first movie that they really established Kirk and uh, Kirk and Spock having that level. That that well, level of and course. we knew it. We knew, well, it, I, I but we had never kind of seen it. Yeah, or, this is or, the first one we see. Yeah, it, correct, exactly. And then we see a, a little bit of McCoy. In it, uh, we and one of the things I really like about this movie is the subtle plays we see with, with McCoy yep. and Spock, and we get a little bit of that relationship that we're going to get a lot more of over the next right. Two, right. This being the first part of that, essentially, it's, it's kind of a soft trilogy of movies with this one, Search for Spock, yep. and 
the voyage home, but we get a little bit more of that with McCoy and Spock late in later movies, but we get elements of it here. You know, the I, I really, be careful. You, you will be, you know, you we will. You see the McCoy Spock thing as a as a consequence of this. Correct. Movie, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, especially in three, when you realize, oh crap, Katra, McCoy is yeah. McCoy is going. He's going loony, dude. Going crazy. You know, until they they're able to take him out and put reinsert Spock. And I love that they did that with the character. I, I always felt like Bones was. Um, underused under not necessarily uh, yeah. in the original series but definitely in the the like the first movie and and up to a certain part in the second movie he's underutilized mm-hmm. as far as the three of them are concerned the whole point of those movies this very very much it goes back to my story about um Leonard Nimoy and and the way he approached Star Trek to to my understanding by the way this is an outsider looking in on, on a famous person, and, and I, I was just able to be there at certain times when he was around and doing his thing. Um, there is a, there, that division that I spoke about between the, the three members, you know, Spock, Bones, and Kirk, and then the rest of the cast was not only a thing on the show, it was a thing in real life and separated these actors and, and definitely informed their opinions of one another. Uh, Jimmy Dewan did not care for Shatner, William Shatner, at all. Not in, if I've actually, and the reason I know this is because I actually spoke to Jimmy after a convention one time. He was the, the, the key speaker at the convention. And um, in front of everybody, he, he was playful. He would definitely rib Shatner, but he was never mean. He was never mean-spirited. When you spoke to him behind the scenes, however, he did not have a lot of nice things to say about <laughs> William Shatner. And I think that's directly because of the experience of doing that show with him and then subsequently these movies as well. And, you know, it's, it's funny. We go back to Galaxy Quest. Yeah. And when, when you are on stage with them, you know, when, when they're at these, con- yes. these, these uh, festivals or these... The these conventions. conventions, yeah, yeah. You see that yes level of they do a great great way of showing yeah the disdain then, for the and, actors and it kind of slips on when they're on the stage but they hold it back as much right. as they can until they can't but definitely behind the scenes it's behind the stage it's very much uh you know I hate you kind of it's this weird double edged sword the fandom of Star Trek the fans make Star Trek what it is it would never have have. We would never have Star Trek to this day were it not for the fans. The fans yeah. brought that show back. They have kept it alive and kept it going and made it as consequential as Star Trek or Marvel or any of the other universes out there. Um, uh, you know, however, <laughs> the stars had to come to peace with the fans as well. And this was my reoccurring lesson at these conventions. Uh, my best friend and I at the time had the opportunity to MC a lot of these creations conventions in the uh, mid late nineties. And, and um, you got to see this story repeating itself, not with the next generation crew, by the way, they, those people loved one another. They were very warm and affectionate. They didn't love Wesley. They didn't like Wesley. Shut at up, the time. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> But but as far as the main cast and the, the players that played together week in and week out, they very much loved each other. It was this original crew that that there was a division. And, and as a fan, seeing it now, I always felt bad about that. 
I felt bad that they weren't that because of ego, because of um, screen time and focus and all of these Hollywood BS bullshitty things that this group of actors, this team of players had kind of had this division um, and split right down the middle. Now, I think if you ask uh, George Takei, if you were able to ask Jimmy Doohan or Nichelle Nichols, if they liked the, the crew and the cast, uh, they would say they loved each other that, that under uh, um, a team, the, 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 Junior officers, the second class, of, uh, loved one another very much, and I think you would hear the same thing about the three actors that played uh, the lead officers, Kirk, McCoy, and Spock. The only exception to this rule, and I will say it because I've seen it with my own eyes, and I think it's interesting, was DeForest Kelly. DeForest Kelly, I've never seen him be anything but perfectly lovely in anything that he's ever done in any interaction I ever saw with him. He's just a lovely, lovely man, and and uh, I was honored to be able to interview and meet him uh, as a Star Trek fan. Also, Bones is one of my favorite characters. I always like Bones. Mine too, yeah. Um, Love it. Uh, in fact, I think it's one of the highlights of the new Star Trek movies. I think uh, Carl Urban, who is one of my favorite actors, period, uh, is just so exceptional as Bones, uh, as uh, um, uh, Dr. McCoy. And and I really love his parts in all those movies, even in uh, the, the, the new con. Um, so that... I thought, you know, it was very interesting. Uh, 1996 in, in the convention center in Huntsville, Alabama, with all of these Star Trek people from all of these different shows, I mean, this was the convention to beat all conventions. It was a weekend thing. They had it. So if you don't understand, Huntsville, Alabama is the home of Space Camp, and there is a NASA uh, um, um, uh, center there um, 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 that um, they chose to have this party at because... Not only were they celebrating 25 years of Star Trek, they were really celebrating 25 years of space exploration, which is what Star Trek was all about, is what NASA's mission is about. Um, so there was a lot of synergies going on there. I got to go to a private party with astronauts from the Apollo missions that were still around and the Star Trek uh, crew. I mean, come on. That is a geek's uh, a party come true. It was just so surreal to be in that room with um, Buzz Aldrin and William Shatner, at, you know, at the same place. It was just unbelievable. And and uh, uh, certainly an experience I will never forget. The whole way I got that gig was just a lark. It was so wild anyway. And um, for a guy making maybe $18,000 a year at the time, which is what I was doing in TV news back then, the uh, $9,000 I got paid for the weekend from Paramount to, to uh, work for them was exceptional. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big win for me. So, um, you know, I, 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 gotta, I, I tell you these stories because it's, it is something that I was fortunate enough to be able to take part in, but also because it adds so much uh, depth to these characters and to the actors that played them. Um, Star Trek fans tend to put these folks on a pedestal and, and treat them as their characters. What you have to understand is these are all people. They're, they're just actors that, got a, that were lucky enough to get a, an amazing role handed to them and, and made something of it. It's all lottery. It's all luck. Uh, some of it is skill that gets you in the door. The rest of it is luck that you get picked and you get, you get asked to take part in any of these shows. Um, and so you had a, you know, in, in, in that 
particular situation. You had a stage where you had um, the cast of the Voyager crew on the same dais as the cast of the original series crew. So, uh, you know, 25 years later, Star Trek had really seen and done some things. Now we're 40 years later, and it's it's just a whole new world. Yeah, and I, and I think, <clears throat> you know, back in, in 95, 96, when you have all of these different series that are either have started to come out or are within their, their latter part of their, of their lifetime and, and other things are starting to emerge from that. Yeah. You know, you, you realize, well, all of this would not have happened if Wrath of Khan didn't. That's exactly right. That's such a good up. point, Ed. You know, that, that is such a good we, point. We are really sitting on the shoulders of Wrath of Khan. That's right. You know, I, and I want to set, set the, the place here, the, the, the initial context of Star Trek was built upon the, the original series. Right. Right. Um, Wrath of Khan itself sits upon the original series. I mean, Space Seed was, was from where this came. And, yep. You know, from... Space Seed, for those of you that don't know, is a, is a original series episode that, that featured Ricardo Montalban in this role as Khan. Yeah. So, and this is where Khan, you know, with his wife and, and the other um, travelers, the other... Um, Members of aug- the Botany Bay. The augmented group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because right? all of these came out of... Uh, what was it, 21st century or 20th century um, eugenics? The eugenics wars. Yeah, right. it was the mid-90s, if I remember right, in the, in the old... 95. Right. 95 is what he calls, yeah. That's, that's the year that he claims that the ship was set off from Earth. So, the so th- this ship comes into um, the, the... No, the, the, I guess the Botany Bay? Botany Bay is right, the ship, is, yeah. Is what, what, the, what the Enterprise brings on board. Right. Um, it's it's a drift in space. It's a, it's a right. It's a drift in space. They bring them on board. They awaken. Um, then they start to have the, the conflict between Kirk and Khan. And and again, Ricardo Montalban is incredible. Yeah, it was incredibly um, cast for this. Right. And and thinking about it, I, I asked earlier, did they find anybody else to play Khan? Of course not. No, he was he was Khan <laughs> in, in the initial in the initial uh, show. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I am. Just so impressed with the level of of um, dramatic ease that <clears throat> Ricardo Montalban is able to provide in this characterization of Khan, you know the the loss of his wife, the loss of his um, uh, crewmates, right? Um, being on SETI Alpha Five for fourteen, fifteen years, you know when he comes to the and you can also tell the the script writing at certain points is just really cool. He yeah, and and his. His acting ability to to say, "Oh, you weren't expecting to find us." Right, right. Were you? He, he uh, Khan you in that thought scene. This was Seti Alpha Six. He quickly puts together the pieces of how these, so why these Federation are folks are on the planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. What are you doing here? So the point of Khan for for those of you that have not seen that original episode is he is a genius warlord created to lead Earth's people. The problem with it is he's a genius madman that they have created to lead people. And he um, it's one of the key points of the film. Um, and the reason um, sh- uh, I was about to say Shanner, is the reason Kirk is able to beat Khan is um, Spock continues to say Khan is working in in three dimensions. He, his plan is three-dimensional. It's two-dimensional. I'm sorry, two-dimensional. We have to think three-dimensionally to beat him. And th- that's where, you know, you, you've got the hours and days. Right. You've got the, you know, that, that submarine kind of... So, uh, 
I the wanna, space battle. Yeah, the I, space I, battle. I, sorry, I'm going to take us off on the side just for a second. No, it's okay. That, the, submarine, the submarine piece, which we talked about last week with Strange New World. Well, let, let's set this up real quick because this is a really interesting point. What Chris is talking about is the space, the main space the, battle the in Nebula. Wrath of Khan in the Mutar Nebula. The reason he's calling the submarine is because you have two blind ships as if they were submarines fighting one another in space. In well, this nebula. And, and that theme goes along with a lot of the stuff that they did when they made this movie the, going into the production. There's mm-hmm. a big naval influence, the, Navy, oh, the yeah. Space Navy. That's right. You know, you, you mentioned the boat, the boatswain whistle earlier. Yep. You know, and I know yep. they did they did away with the saluting, but they kept the boatswain they whistle did. when the Admiral comes on board for the inspection. That's all Nicholas and Myers. All there. of yeah. the uh, the uniforms. Right. And the uniforms, that's a, that was a brand new take on the uniforms yep. that we saw. Up to then, every everybody wore colored shirts. The primary colored except shirts. For, except for one. Or in the in the in the first series or first uh, movie, yeah, in the first movie they were. I, oh, they, they changed they them pretty, up. They, they were seventies jumpsuits. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, fan base hated it. Hated yeah. them. Hated actually hated those those uniforms. Yeah, it. it uh, so this gives them more of that that I, I would actually say that military kind of command structure. Definitely, you know, everybody. And that influence we saw literally go not just through this movie, through the rest of the original series movies. We saw that in the next generation. When we met the Enterprise C, when they came, they came through the the uh, time. Yesterday's Enterprise, yeah, yeah, yesterday, yeah, absolutely, yesterday's Enterprise. Thank you. I was trying to remember the no name problem, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so we saw it in there. We still see that to this day. Oh yeah, in, in certain things, and we see the influence of a lot of the uniforms, including and not just uniforms. We see the red alert um, symbol is used in Strange New Worlds today. I and love I thought that, that was, symbol. Yeah. On Strange New Worlds. Yeah. I'm just I, like, wow, what a cool what throwback. A, yeah, what yeah, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's interesting because they don't call attention to it. Right. It's real subtle, but it's yeah, there. It's there. And it's the exact same thing. It is. So anyway, Ed, I, I didn't want to distract you, just no, distract you from that great. other than to say, like, yeah, that <clears throat> when you when you're talking about the submarine battle, it's not just that, that's the naval influence, but all the way down to, you know, the again, the the structure, the uniforms. I didn't even, I didn't wearing. even think of that recently. There was a there's a a heavy militaristic spin that that Nicholas Myers put on the film. To, to my point, got, yeah, just Gene Roddenberry did not yeah. like that. Um, although I think a lot of the fanhood, did. I think Wrath of Khan, there was a changing of the guard that needed to happen in order for us to get more better Trek. I, I feel like the Harv Bennett, Nicholas Myers, well, you know, the the changing of the guard should have occurred more frequently. Agreed. You know, as they, agreed. You know, I, I think if once they got past four, yeah, you know, it probably should have happened again. Agreed. You know, once they got past eight or nine, or then into the next generation movies, they should have happened again. This really speaks to a bigger point Ed, that you're talking about, and that point has been echoed to me and retold to me over the years as I've worked around Paramount and around Star Trek, which is there are not enough good stories. Paramount. Yeah fell over itself to try to find good original stories for Star Trek because there was so much Star Trek going on at the time where I was involved with the franchise. They would literally take a a Trek story that they thought could work and that they could produce from anywhere. And I found that very interesting. And it, it led to a lot of really great Trek. I think it probably led to a lot more work for the for the for the production team, you know, having to to funnel in every dorky fan, you know, I, fiction I, that came through their doors. I, I think in many situations, when when they're trying to identify a great story, they 
become so blinded by or narrow visioned by the previous stories that they've come up with. And, and Certainly at an executive and, level, yes. And I, and I think that, you know, one of the great takeaways from science fiction in the early 2000s shows that you can recreate or redefine your brand if you think it's outside of the box. And one of those, one of the, one of those, it comes from Battlestar Galactica. Oh, good call, if, Ed. You're so right on if, this, if, bro. If they would have taken Battlestar Galactica, you know, yeah. and, and married the same type of cinematography, story arc, kind of, you know, that that the different components yep. of that, and, and built that into a Star Wars universe. I mean, Star Trek universe. That would be a game changer for Star Trek. It would also, I feel like, um, it, it, it would... Look, they, they tried to do it. It would discovery. tick off half the fandom, too. It would. It would. It would. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if you had a great story that was compelling enough... Agreed. Then the Well, the you and I are much more open to the idea of that than I think a lot of Star Trek, especially original series Star Trek fans. And let, let's let's be clear. Original series Star Trek fans are old now. They're, they're my parents, your parents' age. Yeah. They're older. Um, but in the 80s and the 90s, when I was going to creations conventions, when I was seeing them, if you ever sat in a line waiting to see somebody, waiting to get in, just... You what, the first thing you find is that community is very open. Everybody has a love of this shared experience of Star Trek. It's also very, very opinionated. Sure, of course, but especially the original lot, series. A fans. lot of these Star Trek, uh, Star yeah. Star series are. I mean, Dune, Star Wars. Well, Star but Trek. I find Star Trek those fans to be much more milit militant about what is and is not Star Trek than even, let's say, Star Wars fans. Uh, Maybe, and probably because there are more series out there that... That, uh, and it's the fandom, too. If you ever <laughs> if you ever want to know who Star Trek fans are, just ask people what they do for a living. A lot of PhDs, a lot of doctors, a lot of scientists, a lot of technical people. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why Star Trek is is probably the um, poster child for geeks. Absolutely, Be because there is such a science science slash technical component to the um, to to the uh, franchise. It creates right? a synergy with the fandom that is just unmatched. And, and I, I believe you even have to have a great understanding of the technical jargon, nomenclature, and the actual Star Trek science. Before you're able to submit that into, you know, a book, you know, or oh yeah, you know, if, if you're if you're oh, writing the, a book, the speak, oh yeah, yeah, speak. yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah, if you've ever looked at any of the show bibles, a show bible is basically a little book that lays out the parameters of the world, the parameters of the characters, tells you what their motivations are, things like that. And they did these for all of the different writers of Star Trek, so that everybody could kind of get a common understanding of what they were writing for. And all of these Bibles, by the way, were available at these creations conventions. So, you know, laymen. I thought creations was Star Wars. Uh, it, creations is a company that puts the conventions on. I didn't and know And it that. will do both. Yeah, okay. it does both. Absolutely. Gotcha. Uh, it, yeah, creations does all sorts of, uh, and, and honestly, in all fairness, I haven't been to a convention in 20 years. So I, I, I don't know if creations is still in the mix as much as they were back then. But uh, working with them, like I said, I was a MC for a couple of these conventions. 
lovely company company to work for. I, I, they were great uh, and, and treated us very well. And and uh, those conventions were certainly even the smaller ones, which were the ones we got to host, were still a lot of fun. I mean, I remember going to a con- hosting a convention in Dallas with with uh, a good buddy of mine at the at the time, and we kind of been to a couple of these, so this was like no big deal, and we were kind of just o- yeah. over it all. But we had to be there for our part, so we do the morning session, kick everything off, then we kind of have a break. So me and my buddy, we go to the bar in the hotel, and we just commence to get just tore down drunk. So we have to return back for the afternoon session to close the the nights down for the convention. We've got raffle drawings to do. We've got people to, to and we're just shit-faced. We're drunk off our ass. And I, more obnoxious, two individuals have never been. We were like <laughs> dorky, obnoxious Star Trek fans. It was the worst. It was so funny and so hilarious. But, um, uh, you know, creations to their credit. They, they never cared. They're always great about, you know, having us back and, and letting us kind of emcee their, their conventions. So a uh, funny little uh, blast from the past there as far as that's concerned. But, um, yeah, I, you know, look, the... the the fandom is is one piece of Star Trek that you just can't get around. And I think based on the feedback they got of the motion picture from the fandom, that's what led to this revolution. That's what led to this change. And that's what led to Star Trek really getting its wings underneath it and, and really becoming what it is today, which is a, its own um, science fiction genre with its own history and its own... Uh, a unique way of storytelling. Now, look, if we could just get Akiva Goldsmith to actually read one of those uh, books or a book about Star Trek <laughs> where he actually understood what the show's about, that'd be great. We, we might get more good new Star Trek. Uh, but Wait, Chris, were you going to say something? No. Sorry, man, because no, you I know me. And we'll just keep talking. No, I, I was going to say... It looks like you're going to jump in. Well, yeah, no, yeah. I, I was going to say, so on the movie itself, do we want to step through it a little bit and talk about some of our... Sure. Some of our things, because it sounded like Ed Ed had some exciting things to talk about, or Ed got really excited about talking about it. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, uh, let, let's 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 bust into the movie. Okay, so first things first, as far as the film's concerned, um, the movie opens up, and it it actually looks like this crazy scene where this new captain of the Enterprise is getting the whole crew blown up. Um, as they fight the Klingons, uh, and and, and I remember sitting in the theater going, "What the hell is going on here?" Um, ultimately, we come to find out this is a this is a training exercise for cadets uh, in the academy, uh, Starfleet Academy, and we're introduced to um, originally the the character that was supposed to replace Spock because they weren't sure if they were going to get Leonard Nimoy to come back and reprise the role. And that character is... Who is that character, Chris? That is Savick. Savick. That's that's exactly right. <clears throat> Savick was originally, in the original screenplay, was supposed to be a male character. Um, that was one of the changes that um, the uh, Nicholas Myers, the director, made was to, as he rewrote the script, was to change her, do a gender swap on, on her. And Kirstie Alley, um, who was somewhat unknown at the time. She'd done a couple of of roles, but somewhat unknown uh, was the actress that that portrayed Savick. Um, I really loved her portrayal. 
that, that Savick is a great character in this movie. Absolutely. And the other, uh, I think the other thing about the the scene we're talking about the Kobe the Kobayashi Maru uh, that was interesting is when we talked about the leaks earlier that were happening, you know, from there and the, and Spock's death leaking was an early thing that out of this movie. So it, he originally in the original one of the original scripts died real early in the movie, and this was before the Kobayashi Maru was part of it. So they had to show that scene where Spock quote died, and the Kobayashi right. Maru was kind of the thing to throw off what was ultimately going to happen later in the movie. Yeah, in the original script, Spock dies a third of the way through the film. And um, upon reflection, they figured out the fans would probably lose their shit if that was the case. Yep. Had had y'all been familiar with the Kobayashi Maru before? No. No. Not in any way, shape, or form did I know about the Kobayashi Maru until Star Trek II. Until Star Trek II. Yeah. Is is it mentioned in the original series? No, no, but... There's there is a book that comes after this. Yes, um, it's it's a it's a pretty famous book. Yeah, um, written as part of the Star Trek universe, that talks about the Kobayashi Maru specifically for McCoy. Yep, um, Kirk, Sulu, and Chekhov, um, <clears throat> and they they're sent to some some place for for some occurrence that is happening. They they all go on a shuttlecraft. <clears throat> and they're put in a position to, you know, oh crap, we we might die, or yep. we just need to wait this out. And during that that waiting time, um, I believe it's McCoy encourages Kirk to tell everybody about his Kobayashi Maru. Oh, okay. Because this is like their the real life Kobayashi. Like this, there's so no end. Famously, the Kobayashi Maru is a training exercise that is unwinnable. Uh, it's a it's a no win scenario, and the reason for it being kind of your one of your final things that you go through in the academy before you graduate is that Starfleet officers, especially captains, are faced with the no-win scenario on the regular. It's you, it's your ship, it's your crew. That's all there is. There's no cavalry coming. Um, there, there's no... Uh, it's not Next Generation where all the ships could show a, up at a star a somewhere. Test of, it's a test of character. It is. It right? is. They're, they're, so everybody, the, the cadets, the, they've gone through their university life their Starfleet Academy life, they're they're ready to get set out into their their commands or <clears throat> their movement into their their correct their their um, command their, their uh, c- series, if you will. Um, and uh, this is the first step to move on beyond that or, or their their academy life, right? And <clears throat> in this specific episode, or I'm sorry, in this specific scene. We're interest, introduced to Kirstie Alley. Yep. You know, who I had a really big crush on in, in this movie. Um, as a Vulcan, as somebody that, you know, we've... We, she was a cool character in this film. She was yeah. really instrumental into the development of the plot for here. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we didn't really know, like you mentioned earlier, what was going to happen, what was going on. Yeah. Which is, you know, we, we refer to the, 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 the Spock death scene and right. whatnot. Right. <clears throat> but... We we also realized that oh wow Kirk was able to uh, did he cheat his way through it did he did he really beat them we we hear that they gave him a commendation you know? well that's the thing right so no no Starfleet cadet has beaten the Kobayashi Maru up to the point where Kirk takes it no no one it, it is unwinnable so so Kirk in his infinite wisdom because he this is one of the main themes of Kirk is that he 
always cheats death. He always looks death in the face and, and smirks. He reprograms the test so that he can win. Right. And that that's how he actually is the only cadet to beat um, the Kobayashi Maru. Now, if you fast forward to the new films, they replay this scenario in a very different way. Um, they tried to add a little bit more weight to the outcome. However, it kind of fell flat, in my opinion, because when you hear this original story of Kirk cheating to win the test, this is very much in line with every training night experience I've had working for an organization that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. Um, that type of, of adaptability, that type of overcoming an obstacle is not punished. It is very much applauded and, and <clears throat> wanted and needed in these roles. So I always thought that was a interesting and dumb take that Abrams, JJ Abrams took on, on, on the Kobayashi Maru. I think it was just movie. one of those things that's best left to the imagination. Agreed. We didn't, we didn't need to see it. Agreed. It, you well, know, there's, it's, a, yeah. there's a lot of this stuff that uh, Abrams has done that should have been left to the imagination or, or not re, or not re brought into, you know, the, the universe again, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I, I did, I did like <clears throat> the placement of the Kobayashi Maru um, as a foreshadow to to the rest of the movie. Yes, you really, yep. you that's really, really well at done. The, at the beginning. That's very well done. What are they showing in the Kobayashi right. Maru? For another Kobayashi Maru uh, means something to the effect of a, um, a little defenseless wooden boat. But it's the name right. of the ship that they're going in the in the right. scenario but, but, to... But so, I, so I get you, the Japanese... That, that's the name of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and they, they named it that because that it, it's, a, it's a fuel carrier. Right, right, and, right. And it's... It's a. It's really a defenseless fuel. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a ship. <clears throat> yeah, it's just and a fuel they're, truck. They're they're sent to go out there, and they realize that it's that it's outside the neutral zone. Right. Or it's in the neutral zone. Just barely in the neutral it's zone. Just exactly. Barely in yep. the neutral zone, and you know the this could trigger you know the, War. the arrival of Klingons. Right. Now, two things about this. One, this movie doesn't hinge on any threat. From Klingon nope. or any other race. Nope. Mm -hmm. this, this is a very personal movie. This is a this is a kept uh, this is kept within the the um the the narrative of Starfleet. Yep. You know the second. I, thing, I would even say that just the narrative of this crew and and Kirk. <clears throat> yeah, sure. It's it's a it's an insular movie in that. So way. It, yeah. in in so much as you were set up initially with the Kobayashi that that there is Klingon involvement. Mm -hmm. Your expectation is like, are, are we going to see the Klingons? The Klingons are going to be you the know? bad guys, um, right? Right. And and then two, we haven't really seen any um, Klingon involvement since the first part of uh, the first movie. That's right. Yep. You know. And a funny little side note on this, because of the budget cuts for two, after the ballooning of of the first movie, all of those shots of the the uh, Klingons. Are taken from the first movie. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't redo anything. They just used the footage they had. That's um, funny. And, and recycled you know, it. Yeah. Going back to the budget cuts, um, all of the um, um, what do they call them? What were the um, all of the command sequences? Yeah. In the Enterprise, in the Reliant, and even in oh, the, this is such a great little factoid. Yeah, and, go ahead. Even in the Kobayashi. Yeah. Are the same set. It's the same set. That and they're they're just they redressed it, yeah, for the Reliant, of, for the Enterprise, because for, of monetary yeah. budget issues. Yep. Budget issues. Well, yeah, the the budget had been slashed to eleven million at this point. Um, it the full production uh, budget of the film was thirteen, so they didn't go but a couple over it, which is exactly what Paramount wanted. 
But if you think about it, the first movie's budget ended up being $44 million. Yeah. So it was a, a, a bit of a change. And I will tell you, for the money, you get a lot more bang in your buck in, in uh, Star Trek Two. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that just speaks to, um, if you think about when you, when you have limits, even if they're artificial limits yeah. placed on you and you have to work within the constraints of what those limits are, it forces creativity in a way that if you didn't know that that was the case... You'd never know that right. these sets were modular and that they were able to just switch around locations to make they the would ships shoot, all look unique. Shoot one, one set of scenes in the morning, re redress the set, and shoot other scenes in the evening. And they did this for months. It was, yeah. yeah, it was really interesting. That. There was a there was a quote that that I thought was pretty funny. That up to that point, Nicholas Meyer had had basically done lower budget, right. Things and when they said, "Well, will you be able to make a, a budget, on, or will you be able to deliver us a movie on the budget that you're given?" And he said, "Well, that budget, I've, I've in my experience, I could have made six movies." <laughs> so that really just right, shows like right. his creative, his level of creativity. I think what Nicholas Meyer, as far as the director is concerned, was the right guy at the right place at the right time. I think Paramount understood that too, mm -hmm. and um, I think we got an, a stellar movie because of of, of that cat, that bit of uh, of choosing him as the director for sure. Well, so, so, so Kobayashi Maru ends, yeah. and this is where we first meet Kirk in the new uniform. And all he's, these new he's in the new uniform. He, yeah, and he, um, something else about him is he's no longer a captain. That's he, right. Well, he's, he's been was, promoted at this point. He's an admiral. He was an admiral in the first one too, wasn't he? Oh. I actually remember. It's been so yeah, long I'm, since I've I seen think that, he was. He was. I an think admiral he was. He was a he, brand new admiral he, in the first one. He came on board and he took over. His, That's right. He took over the command, and the, the captain was really pissed off. And he was like, this is my command. That's right, because it was going to be uh, Decker. That's, that's right. Was the Decker, that's Decker right. Was yeah. the okay, so I stand corrected. So we meet Admiral Kirk, though, in the, <clears throat> the, the kind of the modern, what becomes the modern iteration of right. yeah, um, absolutely. Admiral Kirk. And uh, anyway, he's having a birthday. He's, it's, we learned it's his birthday. What movie. birthday is it of his? Do we know? Uh, I don't know that we know. I don't think they ever say. I don't think they ever say in the script either, because I looked for this last night. I, he's that We're made to feel that Kirk is getting old he's 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 and this is very a very american trait he's, he's 52 years old <laughs> that's ridiculous <laughs> so he's 52 years old he's riding a desk instead of uh on the on the bridge of a starship as admirals are administrators mm -hmm. uh in most cases commanders um <clears throat> and so you can tell that um while he appreciates being at the academy, he appreciates being an admiral. He does not necessarily appreciate the the place he finds himself in in his life. Uh, and and to to your point, Chris, on this scene with him and Bones, Bones calls him out on that. Bones is very direct with him and says, "You you this is not about your birthday. This is about you writing a desk instead of writing yeah, being a, a starship. Your first yeah. and best calling. Exactly. Yep. And he he urges Kirk." Get your command back. Go back to doing the thing that makes you special and that you love. Mm -hmm. And it's also the thing that we all love about Captain Kirk is that in that moment, in that, and, and honestly, it's the thing that I really appreciate and love about Captain Pike in the new Strange New Worlds is these are um, men of destiny that make the right call at the right time to save lives, not only his, but the lives of his crew and, and the 
the the property of the ship itself. It, it adds another dimension to Kirk too, because it's th- this is basically the equivalent of a twenty third century midlife crisis. Exactly. You know, it's yeah. the, are my best time are my best days behind me, and do, can I still make a difference where I'm at? Uh, you yes. Know, am I tailor? Am I in a position where I can get leverage what I'm strong at and what I'm good at? You know, training new recruits versus being in the seat and actually being out there. This is a very uh, this is a very American way of thinking, um, very Western way of thinking. Where, um, and in America especially, we do not appreciate wisdom and age the way we should. Not the certainly not the way it's appreciated in Asian cultures. Um, and so, at a certain point in your life, and I think, look, I've certainly thought about it. I'm sure you guys have too. Um, you start to feel like you're out of touch and and no longer on the edge of of what is cool or or what is um, timely at the time. I, do you ever feel? I, and this happens to me all the time. I'm, you know, I got three little girls, and and I certainly can remember as a young man thinking, I am never going to be uncool. I'm always going to enjoy whatever is new. And and now I that's such bullshit. Because teenagers do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, the popular music right now, in my opinion, is crap. It has been for a number of years. Rock has gone away. I don't even know what that's about. I mean, there's all of these things that are changing in my life now. And I can certainly appreciate where Kirk's coming from. I'm certainly not as accomplished as Captain Kirk, but um, but I, I get that, it. And that's where I, I that's totally kind of where it. I was going too. Yeah. Is I like especially watching it to prepare for the show. This was one of the one of the takeaways was like, wow, yeah, this guy, this is a midlife, you know, yeah, essentially a midlife crisis. Yeah, you know, of hey, am I where I'm supposed to be? And I I also think that this is probably one of the first times. In, in the Star Trek history that we start to set precedents around uh, <clears throat> a, a novel novelization themes right so the book that um, is given to Kirk for his birthday oh yeah um, tale of two cities tale of two cities yeah. it's, it's a Dickens novel yep. right um, a classic it, so it, it's it's really interesting because there's this this there's, there's this interweaving between a tale of two cities and Moby Dick that that c- continues to go around all of the famous narratives or, or the, the, the inspiring quotes, really, mm-hmm. throughout the movie. But in this one, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, tell me, Spock, you know, what, you know, surely, Captain, it's, it's the best of times, you know? Yeah. And, and you start to, as soon as that happens, as soon as we jump off that diving board, we, we begin to start seeing the, the following of the, of the hero you know, versus the anti-hero yep. following the Moby Dick narrative, yep. chasing the chasing the whale. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this one, there is a subtle hint of um, somebody's going to give up their life for something. Not just that, but there's a there's a there's a point in the film where you where you start to realize Kirk has gone on with his career. He has done made all these amazing accomplishments. He's seen all of these things. He's met all of these new races and, and, and done all of this stuff. And the one thing from his past, that one little thing that he did to, to, to leave the crew of the Botany Bay on Steady Alpha 5 um, and, and leave them kind of stranded there now has come back to upend his perfect world his which in the grand scheme of things was just an insignificant little event. nothing yeah it was an episode yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely it, but, it was but not to con obviously not to con yeah. but yeah well no cons had years and years and years to 
focus and fixate on Kirk. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't yeah. a little thing to con. It I was, was just verbalizing it. That's all it. You don't, I, you don't exactly. really have to do those things. I, I, I do keep, for, keep, for most keep, people because... Keep your, keep your miniaturizations. This and is and what your, they do on YouTube. No, that's the problem is you got a YouTube mentality um, <laughs> and, and we're, we're in a... I, I try we're, to, in, I, we're in a podcast world. I try to use YouTube as a, as a means <laughs> of escape from your goatsy and, and your... Digging deep with the goatsy. I know you're taking it deep. <laughs> That's what your mom said. Well, uh, I, I, Ed called me from the lemon party last night and, and was asking about what we were going to... Well, we were going to watch. I'm just kidding, Eddie. Totally kidding, buddy. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> let me get us back on track. Yeah, right. <laughs> we go down I'm going to have to edit this out. <laughs> I guess I guess uh, everybody knows that we're from the tech community. Circa we're 2000, tech, right, 2005. Right, right. Really the, dark memes and, and shock things became a thing in the early 2000s. Anyway, before uh, uh, so Duncan so rudely interrupted. <laughs> Chris, go ahead. What was that next So the, the one thing, though, to keep us on track, the birthday scene is also, uh, well, in the preceding scene where, you know, we talked about Spider-Man. You, you mentioned Spock giving the the the, the, the hard book. copy of the, of A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. As a, as These a are the real yeah. scenes that really give us a lot more of that <clears throat> that friendship and that brotherhood. Yep. Scenes of the brotherhood, you know, that of you, know, you can bond, tell those characters are very close. Yeah, yeah. But then we talk about Khan. So we go to Defiant, looking for an, an empty planet for this thing called Genesis that we don't know about yet. We have what? We have the USS Defiant, looking there, for an empty planet. No, 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 not the Defiant. It's a Reliant. A Reliant, why buddy. I, write, why? I, I can't read my own writing. Look at that. It looks like a... Looks like you you a dropped the Reliant. little bit of your R there, so it looks like a D. Sure Reliant. Reliant, yeah. <laughs> my R has a little... My R here has... <laughs> your R has a little D, kind of, kind of like, uh, uh, you yeah, know... I think it was NCC 1864. Oh, Ed digging deep with the NCC number. Is dig there a, is it. There a number, is there a year reference there? No. Is there, no. Is there anything? No. no I was, not I, at all. Man, I was waiting when you set us up right there. No, that's the most. <coughs> Reliant is a um, yeah. it's a discovery scientific, scientific vehicle. vessel. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's looking for an empty rock for this thing called Genesis that we'll learn about later as the show progresses. Uh, they find a uh, they we do learn though that they're looking for this empty planet that has no signs of life, and they find a tiny little energy signature on there. They're not sure what it is, but they have to investigate it before they can rule that this is a planet. Just to make extra sure. So we go down. Uh, we uh, the the so cap- it's during at the same time we're. we're Introduced or reintroduced to a doctor, Doctor Carol Marcus. Doctor Carol Marcus, and she's actually before that, not yet. Not no, yet. no, the, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, she right. is. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. This is where they, they introduce they, her. They have, yeah. they have to contact yeah, her and, right. and say, "Hey, look, we we found this. Does this meet your parameters?" We meet Carol. We meet David, her son. Yeah. Yep. So Carol is a is a is a big import here, um, and we'll talk about a little bit more of that later. But. I'll, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. Sure. Um, so Chekhov and the captain of the uh, the Reliant have to go. Torrell, Terrell, Terrell, Terrell. Yeah, Terrell. Yeah. yeah. So Chekhov. We, Paul, sorry, Paul Winfield played. Back up. Paul Winfield plays him. Right. This is also where we see Chekhov for the first time in this movie. That's right, and he's the first uh, mate. He's he's the first officer of, of the Reliant. The he's, he's not uh, a, um, a consman anymore. Which you know, in Star Trek fashion, let's send all the command crew down <laughs> down on the away missions. Hey, let's you got to that. those guys. Uh, red shirt. They, they don't do. need a red shirt. Well, can, pinchy red shirt. I mean, what is their compliment on the, on the ship? It's a smaller probably. ship for sure. So it's it's, it's a smaller ship for sure. Yeah. yeah, and also they didn't think they were going to find uh, the most evil human being on the galaxy. Well, this was supposed to be City Alpha Six. That's right. That's right. They they're just going to make sure there's no uh, you know 
bugs or, or worms or anything living right. on the surface of this planet. That's, that's exactly what they find is <laughs> an, old, uh, an old ship. Yeah. Well, uh, hold on, because they go down. They go down. And then they see the, this, this cargo bay. Well, the, yeah, the cargo, cargo containers. Cargo is what containers, they, yeah, right? Fine. Mm-hmm. And then they walk in. They take off their helmets. <clears throat> Chekhov's looking around, and he sees a belt. That's hanging from a wall. Well, they're looking. They're trying to figure out what this sure. place is. Yeah, and, and, he, and he puts his hand up on, on something to kind of hold himself up. And he turns it. And the Bot- buckle. Botany Bay. The buckle says Botany, Botany Bay. Bay. Oh, no. Oh, no. And so it, unless you're an original series fan, you have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, you have no clue because it was this one episode. Sorry. It was this one episode. That they mention the Botany Bay or Khan or any of it. Space Seed. Yeah, if you don't know that episode. It's a deep cut. You don't even know why he's so upset. Uh, and, and so he commences to get in the hell out of there. And Terrell, the captain of the Reliant, has no idea because he wasn't I on. Under, I don't understand, Chuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, they walk out to find what? Khan and all of his and minions, his, crew. his minions. Well, we get—we don't even know it's Khan. We just see these silhouettes. Right? That's right, a silhouette of our people. And then sure. the next, we the next scene, we're back in the back in that storm. Well, because this planet is um, chaotic. It's dust storms, and you really can't see very well. And so they walk out of this cargo shipping container, and it's just a group of people sitting there. Their faces are covered. You don't know who they are. Um, then it cuts back over to. The dramatic, where they're back inside the container. Well, no, it cuts to Kirk. They're cutting in between Kirk's story. Sure, to advance the whole... Right, uh, right. Okay, the yeah, yeah, so the, that, that's the next thing, is Kirk's arrived for his inspection. Right. On the, on the right. Enterprise. <clears throat> and he does, this is basically where we learn, you know, he's learned that we, we learned that the Enterprise has a young crew. Uh, a brand new crew. A, yeah, it's, a, it's a refit crew, crew it's right? Oh, it's supposed to be a like, training mission. Yeah, yeah. And it's a training exactly. mission. These people are straight, essentially straight out of... Academy. Straight out of straight out of the academy, and one of the one of the characters that they really focus on is this this uh, Preston, this this um, cadet Preston that um, Ike Eisenman plays. Is this younger? Well, he's got his nephew. Is that who it is? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Right. Yeah. There's a there's actually a cut scene from that movie that's that was reinserted in the early 2000s. And oh no! See, the, I totally missed that. That's yeah. And that's, and that's okay. actually where where um, Scotty the will tell, Yeah. Right after that scene. Ah. See, that would have been him, like, that would have been even bigger. He's like, than, my, he's like in the my film. sister's my sister's son. Oh. Yeah. Okay. 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 It, it just the problem was like, it broke the pacing a little. Sure. Bit, but sure. 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 Cool, yeah. It's a cool little little nugget there. Um. But but. This character, Preston, he is supposed to represent this new, fresh-faced, untested crew of the Enterprise, the flagship of the Federation. It's interesting. People our age that were watching at the time knew him from um, uh, Escape from Witch Mountain. That's right. That's right. He was actually a Disney Disney character for for a couple of movies. Uh, A a child actor and had done uh, quite a bit of work with Disney as a child actor. Um, So that, that was certainly interesting. Um, one of the character I wanted to mention, and we've already mentioned the scene, but uh, Merritt Buttrick, uh, who who was a pretty famous character actor at the time, plays David uh, Marcus, the the son of oh, Carol Marcus, Carol and, yes. and and this this and Kirk. This yeah, this is what we ultimately find out later in the movies that it's actually Kirk's son 
uh, that Kirk doesn't actually know about. Uh, no, he does. Time. Oh, he does know he about does it, but, know he, but he doesn't have a, any David, kind of... David doesn't know he's his son. That's it. That's what it is. That's what it is. Kirk knew. As a matter of fact, he stayed away. He even told... They don't have a relationship. Know, yeah. I stayed away because you asked. Right. Right. But we're here now. Exactly. Exactly. And they're... they're Put back together. It's also established that David does not like the Federation. He's a scientist. Mm-hmm. He, he does not care for the Federation, and and he um, certainly has put Kirk in that cowboy kind of Starfleet officer. And he he type makes of place. he alludes he alludes to exactly what you talked about at the beginning of of our recording with Roddenberry feeling that the Federation was being portrayed as too militaristic. Too militaristic. And he actually literally drops that line where he said they, you know, they're they're very militaristic. I, I mentioned uh, this, but I didn't make the point. Um, Roddenberry at this point, you know, he'd fallen out of favor with the with the studio. He, uh, we, we've already mentioned he he was not interested, or not not that he wasn't interested. He wasn't engaged with this film and 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 it being produced, and so. Um, w- all he really was able to do was provide notes on the script. Um, and and one of those notes was he did not care for the militaristic way they were portraying the Federation in the new script. Uh, evidently, there was a, a a salute that was going on during this inspection scene um, that was very un-Federation to, to Roddenberry's mind, and, and that was removed, actually. Um, Nicholas Meyer said, you know, look, I've had a, a year with this franchise, Roddenberry's and the producers have had it for a lot longer than me. I'm going to defer to their their knowledge. Mm-hmm. An- another thing that is is interesting is um, it is never established what year we're in at this point with Star Trek. Yeah, so the there are lines says sometime in the 23rd century. That's though, right. But we do know. Well, we kind of know. 20 years later, we figure out what year it is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we we kind of know, but there had been some back and forth between whether this was 200 or 300 years into present-day future. Now, if you look at it, if you look at all of the the uh, scripts and all of the stories, it's it's established it's 200 years in the future. Well, we, we know the exact year of this movie. Right. Be- because it's 14 years or 15 years after Space Seed. Right, so so we know. I thought it was more like twenty. No, it's fifteen years. It's but fifteen years. Is, is that, it fifteen years? Is that even a like? Is that ever actually meant? Because yeah, if you look it up, that is fifteen years officially. As as the no, I know. I'm talking about storyline. Yeah, 50, yeah. So I mean, I think I think the movie is probably. I mean, it's over fifteen years since Space Seed aired. Okay, but I but I as far as the lore goes, uh, Wrath of Khan is fifteen years after Space Seed. Fair enough. Okay, good, good. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So. uh so we, we kind of retcon the timing there a little bit. But, again, only Star Trek nerds are ever going to understand. And, and it's, it's a minor thing. So another minor thing on yeah. that is, is check off. You know, Khan says, I never forget a face. Check off. Right. But Chekhov is never in Space Seed. He's not. <laughs> He's not. He's not. That, that's a funny thing, too. They rick on that. Yeah, right. well, that's a Nicholas Myersism because yeah. he didn't understand. He didn't know. He didn't know. Yeah. Right. He didn't and, and he assumes... Chekhov's on the ship at some point. <clears throat> He's a senior officer. Certainly, at some point, he came into contact yeah. with Khan, which makes sense. Yeah, it's it's something that's easily uh, explained easily, away. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, so the Enterprise, they do the inspection. They decide yep. to take a little joy ride just to kind of test the recruits. Yep. And you know, one of that includes like letting Savic pilot the ship out of space dock. Oh yeah, that and that's that's 
uniquely satirized in Galaxy Quest as they <laughs> as they remove the and... the ship from the Thurman space dock yeah. and, yep. and he scratches the face. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because we were watching it last night. My my wife says, "Oh, she's gonna she's gonna bump it, right? She's gonna bump it." I'm like, "No, it's just, uh, <laughs> different movie." You came you came you came at it backwards, but yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's that's good stuff. Um, so, with the, after we, after the joyride starts, this is where we cut back to Chekhov and Captain Terrell as and, they're uh, dealing with the SETI Alpha Five, the crew of with, the Botany with Bay, and the crew of the Botany and Bay. Con. Botany Bay. Now, this leads oh, into oh, oh, oh. this leads into probably one of the scariest scenes I saw as a young man. Again, remember it was eight or nine when this came out, and that is the space bug in the ear scene. Now. I watched this scene last night, and upon rewatching it, it is hilarious. It is so funny because what they actually did, <laughs> because of the limitations of the budget on this pick, <laughs> is they modeled a great big huge ear, inner ear canal. <clears throat> like it's a big model. And they have this puppet going across it, doing the tongue and the whole thing as it goes into the ear. I mean, as an eight-year-old, that was the scariest shit I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah, I remember. I remember I was, as a kid. I, was I remember there, looking there were, through my eyes. Of, you know what? Sci-fi and horror grew up together. Oh, for sure. And they, especially they are, in the 80s. Especially they, they are, in the 80s. They yeah. are cousins that, that, have, that have helped each other grow. Absolutely. You know? and, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, at this time, you know, The Shining was out. We had, yeah. you know, a lot of Stephen King stuff was out. And, and uh, there's even some space... Horror stuff that that's happening. Oh yeah, this time. yeah. So yeah, it was it was good. It was good. Um, and I remember feeling like such a big boy after I got that flick because I was able to actually kind of watch all of it, and and it was, there were some scary parts of that. that I, I always thought the 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 mother of it was cool because it was just an ant lion, and I used to catch. Yes. Like I don't know if you yeah. guys used to catch those things. Yes, you, know, dig, you dig them up dig out of the ground. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so yeah. like, oh, and you hold the sand in your hand and see, like, oh, yeah, I got it. You, you knew know? they were there every time you saw one of those little uh, um, holes in the ground. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, the, that part was cool, but like you, Dunk, I that used to scare the <laughs> hell out of me when I was a little kid when they put the helmets on and you hear yeah. them screaming, yeah, seeing a thing on their cheek, and you know, and you just know that thing went in their head and was controlling them now. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Did you have ever, anything else come in your head? Uh, that was no. that's for another okay. episode. That's another. Uh, that's when we yeah. do our boogie nights. That's geek um, after dark. Geek <laughs> after dark. Um, so moving right along, um, <laughs> Terrell and, and and Chekhov are now under the control of Khan. Um, the Khan now has control of the Reliant. Mm -hmm. uh, so he has a starship now. He's gotten off of his barren wasteland prison. Um, and he's got one thing in mind. What is that one thing, Ed? Who, Khan? Yeah. He wants to kill Kirk. That's exactly right. He's going to find his white whale. Uh, to, to your point uh, about the, the novelizations that, that we it, see in it's, this. It's so... I, I love the fact that Star Trek, this is like the diving board or the platform of which Star Trek and the other Star Trek movies... The motion uh, pictures, motion yeah. pictures... Use English literature to progress its plot line. It's really one of the smartest things they did <clears throat> on a heap of smart things that they did for yeah. Wrath of Khan, by the way. Now, now, this one specifically is my favorite because it introduces two. I mean, one was, is uh, Moby Dick and the other one is... Uh, Tale of Two Cities. Tale of Two Cities. Yeah, yeah. Right? One is, is being uh, told from the narrative of Kirk and Spock. 
And the other one is being told from the narrative of, of uh, Khan. And, and the other true. thing that I always think thought was interesting about those is that every high school kid is forced in America is forced to read those those two novels. Yep, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> you know it would be awesome. I'm not sure if it's done done now or if it's not done. Introduce the things that kids love, which is science fiction stuff, and relate it to English literature. You know, have them read the English literature first and then introduce them to the, the space opera. Well, let me ask you this. What's the first time you ever heard of Wagner? Uh, when I was six, maybe seven. What were you watching? Um, I think my mom bought a... Uh, Only you, Ed. Chris, <laughs> what were you watching when you heard Wagner for the first time? I, I don't remember. He's I can tell you he's, both. He's I can talking tell you about Bugs Bunny. That's exactly right. Okay. And he's talking about the Siegfried um, scene where he's on, where Elmer Fudd is in the helmet. The Vikings, yeah. 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 The, Absolutely. The, yeah, the, um, That's probably the first time I heard The Nibelung I, cycle. Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't tell. But, the, but there's more of that in Bugs Bunny. I mean, Bugs oh, yeah, Bunny's there's, there's replete tons, with, with classic yeah, stuff. Absolutely. So. Uh, they don't do that as much anymore, I feel like, as they did back then. Is Bugs then. Bunny still a thing? We talk about getting older. I don't even know if Bugs Bunny's still a <sighs> it thing. It is to me, but it's not to these kids. They don't they're not interested. If you if you were to ask my girls, hey, do y'all want to watch some Bugs Bunny? Is it old? Yeah. No, that's <laughs> slow. That that's is yeah, no, I, I remember there, there, there's no was, trans characters in eight, Bugs Bunny. Eight, nine, or ten. Um I remember watching the Looney Tunes. Yeah. Right, and it was Saturday mornings. Well, you, you know, must see TV. And yeah. uh, every morning it was, you know, some different outtake. And you know, the I was in, I, I was that was partial. That, that was that was partially my, my musical education. But I, I was lucky enough to have you know different different channels in. But the the nice visualizations from uh, Warner Brothers um, provided the insight into, you know, Figaro, Robert Seville, absolutely, um, you know, Wagner and, and a bunch of the other, um, musical composers that, that, um, have, have, have influenced, have influenced, um, the, um, the music scene. Well, and, and as a kid that wasn't really tuned into the music like Ed was, you didn't even know you were getting, you didn't even know that you were getting an education. You're just watching a funny Bugs Bunny cartoon. Hmm. Yeah, and you look back on it now, you're like, oh my god. I guess what, what I'm what I'm yeah. saying with with the with the English literature uh, component here is that, you know, teachers have a really awesome opportunity, and I and I say this not being a teacher, and knowing how difficult it is to teach to specific standardized tests. So I'm, I apologize to the teachers. I'm just saying that this would be a really cool tool to use, um, lending on science fiction and. You know how they apply to specific novels. Like in this case, we've got a Dickens novel, and we've got Moby Dick, and and we've got, you know, <clears throat> several other Shakespearean things that are mm -hmm. happening. And yeah, throughout the movies. So, absolutely, absolutely. So okay, so we we find they they reach out to uh, Doctor Marcus, right? They tell her we need the we need the Genesis Project. We found this planet. Federation has taken it. Take it. Kirk gave the order. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. so. At this point, all lies. By the now, way. now at this point, Kirk and his um, his merry men are, <laughs> are are taking their their trot across the galaxy on a, a training, training mission. Training mm -hmm. mission, and he gets word that um, Carol is reaching out to him. <clears throat> he goes. He takes the message. Obviously, there is something at the source that is causing the interfer some interference. So she can't hear him, but he can hear her, right? And something about Genesis, the Genesis Project. Why are you taking it from me? Why are you taking it from me? Right. And so then it breaks off. Kirk's confused. He doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. He doesn't about. have any idea what's going yep. on. Um, and that's when 
you know, he says, well, we're going to take this to Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he takes it to Starfleet. Starfleet then gives him <clears throat> command of the vessel and or the vessel. And, <laughs> and uh, he's, he, he says, OK, well, I'm taking command. I'm taking the taking this over. We're going to regular one. Right. OK. Right. And regular one is where this that's the space station where. Dr. Marcus is, <clears throat> is uh, that's right. that's doing yeah. her work. This is a lab, yep. Genesis. Yep. The, the, Deep Space the, Lab. The lab was the second uh, um, phase of the Genesis project. That's right. That's right. Because they've got the cave in the lab. Yeah. They? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they don't know that. Well, they, they don't know it at the time. Khan, Khan doesn't right. know it. And, 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 yeah, and Kirk doesn't know that. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So uh, Kirk decides that he's going to clue in his senior staff on what Genesis is and why they're going to um, the space station. Mm-hmm. And I want to call this part out because um, this scene uh, where he shows them the video of the Genesis effect and the missile and how it all works, that is actually the first bit of CGI yeah. on cellulose. Uh, it was created by Lucasfilm um, and is the first time we see computer-generated graphics on in the movies, and I, I think that's very interesting. That this low budget Star Trek film introduced the first bit and, of CGI, and that, is, and that is how Mustafar got created. And that's right, <laughs> <laughs> Mustafar in every place else. Exactly. No, it it, it is. And and uh, what I found funny watch rewatching the movie last night was how corny those graphics look now. Where yeah. when we saw As them originally, they were great. like mind blowing. Yeah. They're like, oh, this is so cool, you know? The camera goes between those two cliffs. Yes. You know, as part of yeah. It's like, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. And, well, th- this, is, this is the first time that when we talk about CGI, that we start talking about fractal-based. Uh, I was just about to say, yeah, fractal CGI. Fractal exactly. CGI is used. Yeah. Right, because um, it had been used in the past, but but specifically unlimited talk about yeah, you know the the depth and quality of of uh, fractal visualization, mm-hmm. uh, that, creating actual and you, and you can yeah. see that. And this was this was heavily used within the eighties. Yes, right? yes. I mean, I, I remember in the eighties, uh, I, I was taking a Pascal class, and uh, Pascal, a book, and and a book had been had come out on fractals. <clears throat> and how it how it all been written in in Pascal? Yeah, that's right. And um, I bought the book. There was a, a floppy disk in there. I'm, I'm excited to get my geeky hands yeah, yeah, on yeah. this stuff. Um, and I and I go to to set it up <clears throat> and run it, um, but it's not running. And I'm I'm reading the the first you know chapter and it to how to set up the the um, the, the instructions. Disc. Yeah. And it says, okay, well, based on your processor type, this is what you have to change <laughs> in your in your code. I'm like, oh crap, I don't even yeah. know what kind of processor I've got. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm toggling through all of these different things. And finally, I, I pull up a Sorbinsky triangle and it, it comes oh, out. I'm like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> and then I go into I go into a, a, a Julia set. I'm like, that looks like that looks like the uh, Genesis. Yeah. You know, as, as you move in and move in and move in, that looks like Genesis. And, and So if you haven't been able to tell yet, Ed's definitely our math nerd. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he's the math guy uh, out of the group. Um, I think, I'm, I'm just a, neat, a nerd. I think we're all nerds. Well, we're all nerds. I'm not a nerd, math nerd in any <clears> way, shape, or I'm math retarded. I'm just not good in any way. But I guess to, to all of the, this is that every, every single CGI... Um, um, use within the 80s, you can see a fractal influence. And this was the first yes. place, first time that we see it mm-hmm. in 82, um, so heavily used. And it's, it's so um, kind of 
earth-shaking and, and game-changing that they actually build whole movies around this fractal CGI. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of The Last Starfighter comes to mind. Yep. Oh, yeah. Where, where whole whole scenes, whole, whole visions of the movie are created with the same type of technology. For, for those uh, younger folks and those of you that don't understand, CGI today and CGI then, we're, we're, t- we're literally talking about, you know, night and day as far as the technology is concerned between these, what we see today in like an Avengers film or, or uh, what comes to mind is um, the new um, uh, Lost World movies out this weekend. That was a big leap. Another big leap forward in CGI was yeah. the original Jurassic Park. Um, n- you know, now you can basically create any world, anywhere, at any time, b- limited only by your imagination, based on this original work that that was mm-hmm. done by by Lucasfilm and and these early pioneers of, of CGI. So very interesting uh, that that piece there. I did not know that was the first bit of CGI on on film until I did some of this research. So good, good, good stuff there. Stuff. Moving yeah. right along. So this is where the Enterprise meets the Reliant for the first time. Communications are down. They oh, that's right. Face as, as he's on his way to regular... Uh, nobody knows nothing. Yeah, and, they, and nobody knows nothing, right? So, so this is where we see... Uh, it's a really tense... I think this was the really... The first huge, really well-done Star Trek space battle. Agreed. They, Agreed. And it's the first one we really see. There's real tension between these two, especially leading up to literally the first shot being fired. And I think what's very yeah. interesting about this is it's not the Federation against an alien race. Yeah. It's a Federation against the Federation ship. And what does Kant say? We're all one big, one big Starfleet family. That's here, right. Or, that's you know, right. As the ships approach each Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good, great that's score. A good like great tense score leading up, you know, as part of that to really help build that mood. And, yeah. And then the Reliant opens fire on Enterprise. Unsuspectedly, yeah. Unsuspected. Yeah. Yep. Why is this Federation ship shooting on the flagship of the Federation? How does that possibly work? So they so we have this space battle, yep. and this is where we're also introduced to um, the uh, the fact that each each ship has its own code, like backdoor, essentially like a root kit, yeah, code to take down the shields and yep. take control of that. Federation officers know, but in, Khan in case, does in not. Case anything like this happens, right? Yep, right. But specifically, in yeah. case their sh- a ship becomes compromised, whatever they they've got the. They've got the keys, mm-hmm. but but only at the at the um, leadership. It's level. at the leadership, at the leadership level. level. Even Savick didn't know about it as and, they were pulling it up. And this sets up probably one of the coolest Kurt moments ever devoted to film, in my opinion, TV, film, whatever. And this is this idea that um, Kirk is now in his element. He's back as commanding the Enterprise. He's back where he should be. And he is doing everything right. He is making the right decisions as we knew he would. Um, but he owns Khan in this scene. And 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 also we missed a, a part, which is the initial battle really damages the Enterprise because Kirk doesn't understand that this is an enemy. He, it's just another Federation ship, a Federation ship captained by a friend of his, by the way, and whose first uh, officer is his former crewman. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason to suspect anything that the, uh, an attack is impending. So this is where we see um, 
you know, Ike Eisman's character, Cadet Preston, passes away in the uh, engineering room, in, in the engineering bay. Uh, and he's burned all on one side because of this attack. And and you, again, see the human uh, uh, sacrifice of a, a young Federation cadet slash officer and, and how it affects Kirk. And a line that spot that um, Scotty uses, too, to talk about how, like, the you know, we knew these are trainees and this is a young crew, but yeah. a lot of them ran from their stations yeah. when they came with this this attack hit. Right. And one thing I noticed rewatching this that I didn't really know, I hadn't ever really noticed before was you see, actually see some of that during the scenes when they get attacked yep. and then Kirk is stalling. Right. Khan. There's a, there's a cadet that's actually on the station where eventually uh checkoff ends up sitting on Like if you were facing the screen, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the viewer, it's on the left side. Yep. But, uh, but we actually see a guy back there and he's panicking. And right. it's just a background subtle thing that you, you know if you're not if it, it, if you're not looking for it it's not you don't notice it it's really inconsequential if you see it or not but it's a cool little detail. Well, it's a, it, that we it hear reinforces about these yeah. this this and just new to crew. that, that yeah. attention to detail that hey you in the background you're gonna look panicked freaked out you're not gonna you're gonna look like you don't know what's going on and you don't know what to do. Well, and it, li- you know, it rather than just sitting there stoic and you know whatever it leads yeah. to this I this it it, it heightens the tension in this scene because. We all know if it's Kirk and he's got his crew and it's the season crew of the Enterprise, this ain't going to happen. They're going to own this guy. New crew, Kirk's out of his depth in a a way. He's really just come back to it. And still, uh, he's able to lead them through this really terrible part into what's to come. Yeah, so they uh, they end up crippling the the Reliant and then limping themselves over to Regular One. When they go to Regular One, what happens, Ed? So uh, they <laughs> they get to re- they get to Regular One and what is Regular One? First off, so Regular One is a space station. It's a space station, right? Yeah, and it it is um, orbiting a um, a what is it? A moon or is it a? Yeah, it's a moon. I think. Yeah, <clears throat> so. This is where uh, Carol Marcus's staff, um, science staff, is is located. Um, they get to regular one, and um, they find it empty. Right, it's empty. Nobody's there. Nobody's there, um, and they're they're wondering, okay, what what's going on? Until um, McCoy falls upon the dead. Right, they're they're um, hung up. They're hung up. They're so now they're trying to to another scary out. moment in my eight year old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because the, the horror sequences that came out of the early 80s remind me, and this is the same year that it comes out, like yeah. Poltergeist. Oh, for sure, yeah. You know, um, yeah. Aliens, you know, even E.T. to some degree, which was the same year, Yeah, you know, um, have those type of, of um, horror Kind of shock, shock horror, that, yeah. That, uh, now they call them, like, <clears throat> the kids call them jump scares now. Oh, jump scares, but Yeah, okay. but it's the same kind of thing. You know, the, the, the music is tense, and then McCoy... Turns around and it's that hand the that's hand, right there. Right, you, know. you know what's funny is about the jump scares is, um, I, and I don't know how many other veterans this affects, but um, before I went in the military and served during ba- during war, um, the jump scares were just that they were just fun little jump. Now I can't even take them. I can't watch horror films with them. You get uh, so combat is a, a hyper reality. Let me see if I can explain that. Combat and situational awareness, combat awareness, 
uh, <clears throat> kicks reality up about 100 notches. Simply because you know if you don't see the right thing at the right time, you could die. You could you could be dead. One of your buddies could be dead. So everything is a jump scare in combat. Everything is is hypertense. I I would literally go on mission and come back, and I would sleep as long as they would allow me to sleep, just to get over the anxiety that that produced at the time. And I I can remember that. And so it's much better now as the years have gone by and I've forgotten a lot of, of the combat stuff that I went through, but, um, that, that is one thing that I just don't do very well. Right. Anymore. If there's a mood, like the girls will watch horror, they love horror movies. They love horror films and they love jump scare and all that stuff. I, I can't even sit through it because it's just it's too much anxiety. I'm not scared of it. It doesn't scare me. It usually typically makes me laugh. But the build up to that that movies do, I, I just well, you don't get, I, I'm okay not doing that ever yeah. again. <laughs> well when you have to be when you have to be turned on that much all the time, it's when and then it actually hits you. It's not easy to come down from that. There's a, I don't think it's worth the investment. I, I'd in. imagine there, there there's also triggering um, that occurs from from these jump scenarios. Absolutely, with, with veterans, you know that <clears throat> you associate certain feelings to certain experiences that you had. That's exactly and, what it is, and the memories and the and they, they just flood into yeah. you. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be in that position at all. The, when, when I figured it out, funny enough, was um, the um, <laughs> the. The Bruce Willis movie where the kid sees the ghost. What's the film oh, called? Uh, fifth, uh, six, um, six, six, six cents. Six cents. We can't uh, write eventually. Yeah, we. we well, well, you well, said Bruce Willis, and I'm thinking of Fifth, fifth Element. Element. Yeah, <laughs> no, Six Cents. Because I was, I was. You I, said I Fifth Element. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking Six Cents, but I heard Element. I was like Six Element. The Six Element. Because <laughs> I had a big uh, crush on her. Too. So, so yeah, you're right. Uh, Lilu Dallas. Uh, so, um, Lilu. so that was the first film. Like I went to the theater to see that. And I remember I was married to uh, my first wife at the time. And uh, I leaned over to her and I said, if one more ghost pops out, I'm leaving. Because it had affected me so much. Um, I, I made it through the film. And there was another ghost that popped out, by the way. But I just remember the amount of anxiety I felt during the first viewing of that Was it the little girl? Film. It was the kid... Under the covers, throwing up. Is that a little girl? Oh, that, that was a little. Yeah, that was a little girl. Yeah, that uh, the, that the, scene. The mother had poisoned. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was the scene where I was like, if one more of these motherfucking ghosts jump out, <laughs> I am out of here. <laughs> and it it made me feel really self conscious and really lame for a lot of years that I couldn't sit through a horror film or didn't want to put myself through that. Um, but you know, now I've kind of come to terms with all that sure. is and everything. But yeah, that. Those jump scares, uh, especially in this one, affected me very differently. I was scared, you know, as I should be, as they were meant to, but nothing like like what I experience now or after combat, which I thought was very interesting. I think that's very interesting. So, so we 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 know that they're dead. Yeah, but we don't see Carol or her son or a couple of the others. They're missing. They're right. missing. Right. So they're doing everything they can to figure out where they've gone. We've determined that the 
that the transporters um, are still online, so obviously they had to go somewhere. Yeah. We know that they were in phase two of their um, project, so um, they most likely went down to the cavern, right? Or, or Well, don't they see something about it was phase one and phase two? It's in the movie, right? So, so they know about phase one, two, and three. Because of the, from the uh, Genesis from video, the Genesis yeah, intro yeah. video, that yeah, yeah, yeah. They saw movie. That's what I meant. The, yeah. the intro video, yeah. Um, so um, they 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 locate the coordinates of where they were transported, um, and they decide to go to go visit. Yes. Um, and they found Chekhov and they found Terrell in boxes. And um, they're kind of shoved they, into space, yeah, on, on, on regular, on regular one. one, yeah, right. And they and they're out of it. And they, they've told them what happened. There was a, a, a right. something in their ear. But we, what we didn't find out until they actually all get transported down is that <clears throat> now that they know where the location of the Genesis device is, um, they had a comm link on to Khan this whole time. So right. Now that they've been able to see what happened, Khan says, oh. He you know, knows where, where Genesis is. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, Kirk says, take me, Khan. Take me. You know, and he says, "No, I'll, I'll, I'm going to leave you here. I'm going to like you left me. Like you left yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I th- and I think that this, it, this was the con moment, right? It this is the con yeah. moment <gasps> in the in the K word. You know, but but at the same time, he he also set up the um, the uh, the the two day or the, the days as weeks or weeks as hours or wh- whatever that by, was by the book by the book because of you know Savick's right the code reg- he's speaking he's speaking code uh, starfleet code right. basically to right. his officers yeah so um and we didn't realize that no we don't know that at the time we're right like, right what's going on what's right, that, right. That's kind of odd yep. we're going to sit in this this part for months <laughs> yeah so um yeah so that, that that was a pretty cool and, and until again it's kirk being Terrell captain kirk himself. he's just cool yeah Terrell kills himself he doesn't uh, want to hurt he doesn't want to hurt kirk Kirk or any of the other officers, right. so he he chooses to end his own life. That's right. Yeah, um, and still under the control of the brain bug. And then Chekhov yeah. um, is able to get the um, the ear, earworm out of his ear. He fights it. Yeah, he he fights it, and and whatever for whatever reason, the earworm kind of crawls out. Yeah, which is odd, but you know because. It is what it is. It's, it's sci-fi. It's got that plot armor. It's gore, yeah, you know, little little, little gore for it. That's right. <laughs> Uh, that that leads us up to the final scene or the final well, climax, uh, well, not final scene. Well, but the, before, the final before story, it, real quick on the Genesis yeah. cave. So that this is where we see Phase Two, which was in underground in the cave. Yep. But coming back to the the minutes seem like uh, minutes seem like hours, hours seem like days. Uh, the code, I think, and this is where we learn that coming back to Kirk cheating on the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah. But this also shows his thinking and how he was always on his feet, like you said, right. finding these solutions. I, I think this. I, to me, I think that just really shows like what a badass he really is. He's an intergalactic to pimp. be able, yeah, yeah, to be able absolutely. to like you know, every, everybody thinks the chips are down. It's like nope, he was playing. You know, he, the chips were. He and Spock were on the same page from the from the get go. Well, and, and Spock and, tells him, "You you've yeah. got to think this way yeah. to beat this guy." Yep. And, and Kirk gets that. He yeah. gets the message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think and, it was just a great way in the movie, like to show the audience, like how what a just. Like how he was, just he's back in his element. He it's is, something we yeah. talked about last week with Strange New Worlds, or a couple weeks ago, about on the Enterprise. You are, if you have a seat on, on the a chair in the Enterprise, you are the best of the best mm-hmm. that Starfleet has produced. Yep, and it it really lends itself to the 
five-year mission and the amount of uh, items and, and, and undertakings and, and just learnings that Kirk has, has been through. And, and he, he's just that guy. He's that yeah. captain that, that knows when the chips are down exactly what to do to get out of the situation. And then where you were going to take us, Dunks. So we're uh, Enterprise is limping away from the the asteroid, right, into the Nutara Nebula, yeah. baiting Khan in. When we find out he they well, hail the Reliant, and, and Kirk and, and the crew get back up to the Enterprise. Yes, they're back up on the Enterprise. They, yep. they take the the Enterprise limping into the Nutara Nebula. Is this the point where um, David finds out that Kirk is his father? Where is it? Where is it? I think that's actually. Head? I think that's actually at, at the. Well, he. We don't see an explicit moment because in the in the Genesis cave, he there's the thing where you know he David assaults Kirk and Kirk, right, you know, knocks him down, right, and then the uh, Marcus says, "Look, you're comp- you're just complicating things." So we and then he's already left into the Genesis cave with, uh, with McCoy and with Chekhov at yeah. that point. So we don't really see a, an explicit scene where it says this is. Your father. Your father. But, but he figures but, it out. But he figures yeah. it out. And by right. the end of the movie, it's very clear that he knows. Well, and, and the reason yeah. I mention that is because one of the key things that David does to make Genesis work is he cheats. He does. He does exactly what his father did on the Kobayashi Maru. He does it, it with this scientific discovery of the Genesis missile. And he puts what they're calling proto-matter mm-hmm. in the Matrix. And this is the unstable element that he did not account for. Exactly. Knowing that it was not. Yeah, but that's a great observation thing. that it's paralleling his old man. Absolutely. Yeah. He, 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 no matter, he, he didn't live, he didn't live, he didn't grow up with Kirk, but he still has Kirk still in Still has it, it in his. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Great point. Um, and so now um, this leads us to, I, I feel like one of the greatest Star Trek ship battles scenes i'm gonna i would bad against good i think it's one of the best space battle agreed scenes agreed and and uh, i know uh, for me personally affected me very deeply i I really fell in love with the show after this scene the the movie's great Uh, everything but as an eight-year-old kid this is where the rubber meets the road for me it was just so freaking cool um and, and so we get into it Kirk's back on the Enterprise. What is happening now? We've got Khan is on the Reliant with his crew, um, and and he thinks he really has everything sorted out at this point. Until he gets a hail from the Enterprise. Right. Kirk hearing right. laughing at the superior intellect. That's right. Kirk's, As, Kirk's taunting him. And their, go, their, their goal is to bring them into the Nutara Nebula where the sensors and everything will be disabled yes and it essentially levels the playing field of two crippled ships and at least it evens the odds right of, right of their ability to come out on top which we saw again in strange new worlds with the gorn a couple of weeks ago we saw a very similar situation um and I, and i have to think because pike came before kirk that um kirk studied some of pike's you know missions and and has learned uh, you know again from uh from that those experiences as well um and this really kicks us into to ed's point that 
that point where Star Trek really gets very cinematic and very um, good versus evil, and we really see the Moby Dick correlation between Khan on the the failing bridge of the Reliant and Kirk. You know, I I I find I I love the 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 Dickens Moby Dick. Yeah. Um, it's circling each other. Yeah, you know, it's, right. it's, it's like it's like the uh, it's like a, a, a DNA strands. That yeah. Are yeah, 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 yeah. Until the very end, it's, it's like they're they're getting closer and closer and closer and closer together, you know. And you have Ricardo Montalban quoting, you know, um, some some great lines from, from Moby Dick. Dick. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna chase you around. Yeah, yeah, and you know. Um, Around perdition's flame. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's, it's just these incredible old English kind of um, way of describing things, and yeah, just and to, just yeah. Agree. But but you also see the, you know, the eventuality of it all, and realize Spock's going to go do something that he shouldn't be doing. That's right. That's right. Don't do this, which is a takeoff from Dickens, right? And, yeah. And, and the and the great um, point. <clears throat> the, the taking the guillotine for somebody else. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, and, and until the very end, you don't get out of that until Spurk, Spock gives of himself. You know, which goes back to the initial narrative. You know that that the um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or of the few. The few or the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and, and it was. I, I remember being nine years old in the theater. You know, in '82, and when Spock dies. It's huge. I was a blubbering fool. I I was too. I don't think I remember crying in the film. I may have. I don't remember that. I was in. I was. But in, I was deeply. There was, there was touched. Shock. There was shock. yeah. There was shock. There was awe. There was disbelief. There was, you know, this feeling like some. I just died a little bit, because you know Spock was no not going to be any no longer with us. But the the actual true narrative of this whole thing was Spock was going to be around still. Of course. You know, they, they were, we didn't know that at the time. Know, yeah, I mean, just like we didn't know that you know, um, well, and I think Vader was Luke's father, or that Han was, was going to come back from the what? Uh, and spoiler. what's what's super interesting about spoiler? What's super interesting about this Ed is that um, the novelization come out. Spock is killed in the novelization that comes out before the movie, and so uh, to your point earlier, the New York Times comes out with their story. They've told everybody that Spock is going to die or that's what the rumor is that he's going to die. I think that drove a lot of Star Trek fans to the theater and I actually watched some B-roll. B-roll for those of you that don't know is is just um video of a of a location. It's not the main interviews, it's not the main storyline, but it's all the other stuff that you don't see. It's it's what we call B-roll in the in the industry. And there was all this B-roll from the premiere in the 80s, and all of these trackers out there talking about whether it was okay for Spock to be dead or not. It's such an interesting little watch to hear these people say, you can't kill Spock. Spock's the best character in Star Trek. Or, yeah, I don't really care if you kill Spock. That's okay. We need to move the story. I mean, it's just interesting to hear these people and how killing that character affected their perception of Star Trek. Sure. Uh, at the time, um, and it's uh, you know I, I it was a nostalgia trip for me because of all the clothes and everything, and I I definitely remember waiting in lines for these movies 
we definitely waited in line for for Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. My, my mom and my stepdad took us to this one as two. Um, and and so that all of that to me was very interesting to to go back and watch. Again, the world was very different in 1982. There's no YouTube, there's no internet, there's no none of that. There's no deep meta on things. Deep meta was was done at the conventions with like-minded people where you had these conversations that you would never have with anybody else other than a Star Trek fan and a really big Star Trek fan because they're too geeky. Regular people don't care like we do. You know what I mean? Um, But the way that that one piece of information, that one death of that character in the main crew had really affected all of those people waiting to see what actually happens to Spock. It's very, very interesting stuff. And, and, and certainly context that I did not have at the time when I went to see the movie. I mean, look, my parents took us on a Saturday night. We were just, we just going to see a movie. The fact that it was Star Trek, the fact that it was Wrath of Khan, and it was so cool. Again, I was not a huge Star Trek fan at the time. It really didn't matter to me. My folks were taking us out for a movie. That's, that's all it was. After the movie, though... I was a Star Trek fan from then that point onward. And I mean a real Star Trek fan. And 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 I got really deep into uh the Paramount scene when I was working in the nineties for for that company and, and some of the stuff I was able to do for that company um really made a mark on me as a human being um in in a lot of ways. It was great creative creatively for me. It was amazing. It was an, an amazing period of time in my life. Um Understanding the studio system and how the business of entertainment works was really a letdown for me. It was really a, a bad experience and and one that I didn't really appreciate and and ultimately walked away from that industry because of the way business was handled. Which you know, like I mean, not that I had any big job or anything. I was not. Uh, it, it was all production work that I did, but still, um, I think it's very interesting for a somebody from. Uh, the South, the Midwest, somebody who who comes from a small town to go to a Hollywood or a sure. New York and 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 get embroiled with that and and see what the real world is really made of. And that, those were my first lessons was working with Paramount and, and getting it's a cutthroat you know, industry. Cutthroat and 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 Paramount at the time um, had a lot of leadership that were really jazzed about being their leadership and, and really were D bags. They acted that way in, in every interaction that you had with those <laughs> cats, they were, they were D baggy. So, um, always very interesting. We get to, uh, back to the story. We get to the end of this final battle. Um, and, and we see Kirk make this really tough decision. That decision being, do you remember Chris? I just threw to Chris, and he's, he's at me totally like, threw I, me I, like I, uh, "Are we talking about basically hitting? We've got to go to warp, but we're leaving. Not uh, just go to warp, but we've got to launch the Genesis missile onto the planet that they've they're they're fighting around." Well, he didn't launch the he missile, he so didn't it. yeah, no, uh, it, not it, Kirk. Con detonates. Sorry, quoting 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 Melville. <laughs> you know, right uh, back to the Moby Dick thing yeah. before he as he activates the the Genesis device. So Khan knows he can't win. Yeah, he, he, he can't beat Kirk. He's been but, taken out by using three dimensional thinking. Uh, three thinking, right? But you know, you basically saying gonna, adjust. He's going to do whatever he can to take out Kirk. That's as well. exactly right. Yeah. He's got to get his white whale. That's yeah, exactly right. Exactly. 
So Khan detonates the Genesis device or sets the timer to detonate it. Yep. And they know that with the damage taken, they're not going to be able to get away from it without... That's like the big that's thing the big at the thing. end. Something has to happen. Get away? Yeah, something yeah. has to happen to. I remember seeing this. Away. I remember seeing this part, and as a kid, you don't know what um, waves are supposed to look like, right. from a graphical perspective. Right. <clears throat> and and now when you see the Omega wave, as it was illustrated on on the Enterprise, yeah. And and David says, "That's the Omega wave." I'm like what? That's <laughs> what the hell are you talking about, dude? That's you know that's that's um. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we're given four minutes, right? So they've got four minutes to escape. Right. You know, and... Um, and they know they can't. Yeah. They, yeah all they have is impulse power. That's at right. Point. Yeah. No warp. So Spock makes Spock goes down to the engine room, knowing that there's something that has to be done. On his own. He doesn't tell anybody. He, he just he leaves He silently the, gets the up and leaves the bridge, bridge. goes down, yep. and we're told that the, depart- the compartment's flooded with radiation. You die if you go in there. Right. He makes this decision. He does the Vulcan neck pinch on Scotty. Scotty and uh, no, on, on, uh, on McCoy. McCoy on Bones. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, yeah. he does Scott, two things. Scotty was already down. That's right. He, he uh, pinches McCoy and then he mind melds with him. That's and, right. And passes, he says, "Remember, you know." And, and as kids, we probably should have thought that. There's something to that. We should maybe think of it, but didn't we didn't think know. a thing. We didn't well, think, a thing. think a thing. The other thing that was great about it was it was it was a bit of. Foretell it was a bit of a foretelling thing when we look at it through history, like looking with hindsight. Yeah, but at the time, Leonard Nimoy was done with Spock. That's right. And literally, the the way to bring him back to play Spock again was to give him the opportunity to actually direct a movie. And so he That's got right. to direct Star Trek three and four as right. part of his thing to say, like, hey, yeah, come back and play. This is what we'll do to get you in, not just a payday, but you can actually do the directing. Of Which the, none of would happened had Wrath of Khan not been as successful right. and as amazing a movie as it was. But it was interesting because that that scene where he transfers his Katra was that really part of the plan long term? Was that more of a? I have never gotten an it, answer on yeah, this. Yeah, and it, it's never. Uh, got, or was I've it just looked, a way to like a final goodbye, Spock's final way of saying goodbye in the 1982 mind? And I think that's what it, yeah. it, it was. And and what they ended up doing was taking that and making, and making something it something. It. And yeah. that's a, that's what I think is great, is there's this little convenient yep. scene that could be just a complete throwaway thing, but literally you, you're able to build an entire movie around that. Right. You know, a few years, what, four years later? 86? Was it? 85. 85? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just a few years later, you're able to literally build a whole movie on the premise of what happened in that one little 10-second scene. Not just that, but re-energize the whole cast of crew. I know DeForest Kelly said that he really loved playing the character after uh, Wrath of Khan because uh, Bones had a much bigger part to play. It was very much out of his comfort zone for that character in the subsequent movies, and he said he loved that. He loved that they changed the character up like that for him and and, and provided him something new to do uh, in those subsequent movies. Yeah, yep. very interesting stuff. So Enterprise gets warp. They're out of here. They they managed to escape Khan's, yep. uh, Khan's last right in the right, right at the last right moment. Right at the last yep. moment. Yep. And Kirk thinks it's a marvel that Scotty pulled off until he finds out that this, there, there's this sacrifice that Spock and, made and, going and down. And rightly so, because Scotty's always been the hero. Yeah, he's always been the, the guy ship. that, yep, yeah, exactly. the just-in-time miracle yep. maker. Yep. And, uh, and then we get that, that a pretty emotional scene where it's basically the goodbye between Kirk and Spock. And one thing I love about that, peop- the, the great, I think, people that make scenes like that, knowing when not to say things or yep. when not to put music in. Yep. 
is fan, uh, and the fact that there's no music in that scene. So it's literally just the two scene. of them talking, yeah. her talking to his glass. dying friend between yeah. glass was yep. just uh, like incredible. So I, yeah. I, I love um, Hallmark Christmas ornament. Oh yeah, right. Yep. It's a big collector of the Hallmark. I'm not sure if I gave this to y'all. You did. I, I did. I yeah. Did. Okay. The, yeah. The, the the scene when the okay with great. the two okay, of them. Yeah. 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 I gave y'all this back maybe four or five, five six years, years ago. I think yeah. We were yeah. at one of the um, the showings. I'm not sure. It might may have been for a Star Trek release. I'm not sure. But um, I've got this at work, and so this this Hallmark ornament is a Star Trek ornament, and it's this scene specifically when Spock and Kirk are um, are at the panels with uh, Spock's hand out and uh, Kirk's hand over his touching hand. between the, the you know, plexi, and yeah. there, there's a button that you push on it, and it's that dialogue. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. It's yeah, good, good stuff. stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of great, a lot of those Hallmark uh, yeah. ornaments are really great too. You'd love, you'd love what that's worth nowadays. Oh, I'll tell you what. How much is it, Chris? About 150 bucks. Is it really opened? Really? really? I just looked it up on eBay. What, Mine's unopened. I still have mine uh, in the box somewhere. You know what else I have, Ed? And I need to give these to you because they're sitting in a box somewhere. And and I'll, honestly, I won't use them, but I know you will. Do you remember the? Three figures I had of the original series: uh, Kirk, Spock, and uh, no, uh, um, Bones. The action figures I had. There were you had those at our employer at our at, former. Employer. That's right. Yeah, that's I right. I had them on my desk, and you were like, "Where did you get these?" And I was like, "Believe it or not, I got them from Avon. <laughs> it was an Avon special that they I, ran." I remember the story, but I can't in my head remember. There the are these great nine-inch. Star Trek, the original series, figures of Kirk, uh, uh, Spock, and Bones. And it's got all their little giblets and all their things, the, the, the tricorders, phasers, the, the tricorders and everything. So the, the, the one, the one um, character that I'm, I, I love, I, I'm proud of myself for having. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's a Next Generation character, um, and it's a Borg. Okay. And it's Hugh. Oh, nice! I yeah, never yeah, been yeah. Able to find him before, and I, I saw him. Oh, very cool. Twenty twenty five years ago, and I was like, I gotta have that. Well, these are loose, but they're such great figures. They've got lots of articulation. They're done really well. The sculpts are really. I need to find those and give them to you. Oh, that's cool. They need to have a good home, that's and cool. I know they would have a good home in your place. That is awesome. Uh, for sure. Um, so this this. Really brings us to the end of the movie, um, um, and it's a, it's not a happy ending in any way, shape, or form. Um, Kirk has lost his best friend in the world, his brother, and the Star Trek fans shared his loss because Spock was such a fan favorite uh, throughout the years and, and remains to this day. Remains so much to this day that if, if the new actors of Spock had not done their due, they would have been taken out of Hollywood. On a Ethan Peck is great. He's so good. Yeah, he, is. he is. He is so good on that show. You know, and I thought, I thought um, he's the new Spock of Strange New Worlds. Qu yeah, Quinto was pretty good. Zachary Quinto was great as well. But, but it's a different character. Different character. Yeah. Of Spock, yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I, I I really do. Ethan Peck is is uh, do feel like Ethan Peck is doing a fantastic job. Yeah. To 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 be fair, I um, to be fair, to be fair uh, I love the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek cast. 
The cast is second to none. Yeah. I, I really like those players. They're just different. They're they're not yeah. Star Trekky in the way that we traditionally think of Star Trek. Not bad. I'm not dogging the movies. I like them, and I like them all. Even even the Cumberbatch one, which is my least favorite of the three. Yeah, me too. Um, but I still I still like the movie. Um, I didn't really care for Eric Bana's. Um, I think he was the best part of the, all those movies. Yeah, I know Eric Bana. The, the, the bat, Rom- his Romulan, Rom- Nero. Nero. I like Nero too. I, I didn't have a problem with that. But I, 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 I didn't care for him. But I could see well that point of view for sure. And let me yeah. let me point out one thing that you guys you guys are in, unintentionally touching on it about Wrath of Khan and its influence. No, every Star Trek movie that they've tried to make since then, they try and come up with a bigger, badder, big villain. bad. Yeah, and it's yeah. so tiresome that they just keep. They can't. They they literally like when we saw those Abrams ones. Nero was fine in yep. the narrative to kind of launch. The he was doing something to, extra there. Yeah, yeah but they, yeah. they use it as a way to kind of te- like break the Kelvin timeline right. and everything. So right. that that was fine. Then it's like Khan, and then that who was the Idris Elba captain that we're literally inventing sure these late bad villains guys, that, yeah. that supposedly have a connection to Kirk in the past. Like, stop trying to redo. That's Khan. interesting. You're yeah. right. And, yeah. And so that that just really kind of circle back to closing this movie out. This really set that bar for Star Trek villains. And well, because I, it I, was I, probably one of the best villains uh, in science fiction. Period. It, it was. Yeah. And and it. And they made them that way based on something that was a throwaway. So it was exactly. like an unintentional thing, callback that they did. And it made and they basically amped it up, but it gave it an instant history and a reason for him to hate Kirk that, you know, it's just been artificial in everything they've tried to do since then. The only exception coming reasonably close was first contact with the Borg. Sure, uh, and, and, sure. You know, Picard, had, and obviously they had that history. Yeah. That's the closest it's really come, and First Contact's a great movie. I really I love, I love that Contact, movie. Contact, yeah. But it's the, it's the only one to me that's come close with, with having a big bad villain that is that has a, a, a connection to the captain, and the captain having a re, there There's a reason for that rivalry. Undiscovered Country did it. They just did, they did the whole Klingon race, it not a, race, not a exactly, single... Yeah. Person, yeah, yeah and yeah. and really, uh, what's his fa- uh, Christopher Plummer's character, General Kang? Yes, his reason for with Kirk was more of a fellow warriors on the battlefield. Right, it wasn't this? I've got this personal hatred for you. Kang wanted back. to yeah. beat the best yeah. in in Starfleet. Yeah, and this one happens to be also directed by Nicholas Meyer. Isn't that funny? We'll have to talk about. That yeah, later. absolutely, absolutely. The, the Undiscovered Country uh, came out my birthday of ninety one, and. Um, it's interesting because um, in 90... I think, I think it came out in 92. I think I thought it was 91. To 91 I, I can tell you that 91? it came out in okay. 1991, and I'll tell you the reason why I know, is because I was um, actually just about to get deployed to, de- to um, Saudi Arabia for Desert Storm. Uh, we were in Desert Shield, and, and I didn't get to see the movie. Because I got deployed actually before um, my birthday, and I was in the states, and I thought I was get, I was actually home on leave, and um, my unit got activated, uh, and, and <laughs> I could just remember I had been in the military for a year and a half now, just doing training, and I hadn't seen home, hadn't seen my mom or my family or anything. And I came home, and I was home for about two days, and they called oh, me boy. back. And um, my it was, my mom just didn't understand. She's like, what do you mean you have to leave? I'm like, my unit got activated. I have to go do my job. She 
just did not understand the military in that way. She did not understand that that was part of the thing. Kind of, um, a, kind of a requirement. Kind, kind of, kind of a thing, mom. Is that I don't get to make my choices anymore. Um, and, and so, yeah, I did not get to see that movie until after Desert Storm was over, and I was back in country. Uh, and and actually, I went to Germany after Storm, so I didn't even get to see it then because it wasn't playing in Germany. I had to wait till I got back to the states to see probably one of my favorite Star Trek films, which is Undiscovered Country. But that's that's interesting. Yeah, story it, for another episode too. for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, think, yeah definitely. Who's the main villain in this? Uh, for Kang, the, well, it's the it's the it's the Klingons, yeah, the Klingon uh, Empire, so but Kang is the it's the conspiracy around. He's the um, he's he, the general, he, he, the the actor um, from Sound of Music, Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I um, remember seeing this at the movie theater. Yeah, um, it was December. Yep, of ninety one. Mm-hmm. Right, and my my birthday is December thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I was at UT. Um. And this is the first time when I'm I go to a movie theater without a, f- a family member, you know, because I'm this is my oh you were just on your own I, I was with a couple of friends oh from, okay from school yeah yeah and we go to the theater and I see older people yeah that are there that are dressed up oh right and on is it the first time that I see that because the trackers yeah in yeah. San Antonio versus Austin the culture is completely oh for different. sure yeah yeah you know, and you're like what the hell are they doing. <laughs> I've never been to a convention before, but I'm a super, you know, um, I'm a Star Trek geek. Yeah, Mex is right. I can dress up. I got to get work boots for tomorrow. I can dress up. What, you my chanclas on? Look, mira, I got the Starfleet badge on the chanclas. Starfleet. Look, look, I got it right there on the chanclas. (laughs) Well, the other, that movie was, the the buildup for that was really even bigger because a couple of weeks before is when Spock debuted on The Next Generation. And that was oh, was first, it really? Yeah, and, and there was a, a foreshadowing where he tells Picard, you know, his, you know, perhaps you're aware of the role I played with negotiations with the Klingons. Oh, how interesting. And and that came out just a couple of weeks before the movie, and it became a, what what is what are they talking about? What right. happened? Because Picard says, well, history's aware of your role, and he said, but it's me that sent Captain Card to the, or Captain Kirk and his ship, you know, on that uh, thing. I put him in that position. I'm responsible for what happened. That was in the next generation. Yeah. And so it became this. Oh, okay. A few lines where it's like, man, what are they talking about? What happened? What's going to happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Other than a couple of uh, um, bootleg tapes of uh, like Nirvana and a couple other bands that I uh, liked at the time, I had no media in the desert. (laughs) Imagine. (laughs) So there was, uh, so I completely missed that. That's, that's interesting. Uh, Very interesting. Cool stuff. So, um, you know, look, we we end this movie with uh, first off, it's just a ride. I mean, after the movie, I I, I can remember being tired. I can remember the, like just because all the emotion and everything that happened uh, throughout the film, and I also remember uh, we left the theater and I asked my mom, "Can we see it again? Is there any way?" And it's the first time I ever asked that. First time I ever wanted to do that was to see the movie again in the theater. And to her credit, my mom was like, oh, yeah, we'll go see it. And I think the week later, we, her and I went and saw it again uh, and, and enjoyed cool. it again. Yeah, cool. yeah, it was, it was a neat little memory of, of uh, my mom. Don't have too many good ones of her, but that uh, she was definitely a big sci-fi and Star Trek fan and something that we shared together in, in that regard. Great, uh, great film. I really enjoyed looking back on it and... and um, you know, look, it's it's been 40 years since that, that picture came out. And if you think about it, Star Trek fans out there, you would have nothing 
that we have now without Star Trek the Wrath of Khan. Khan! <laughs> Khan! Nothing. You would have nothing. That that picture re-energized the franchise. It got the franchise back on track as a popular um, uh, science fiction genre uh, piece um, where not just um, Star Trek nerds could get into it, but but casual viewers could could enjoy it as well and that became kind of the hallmark of those movies from then on to, for better or for worse in, yep. in some cases um final thoughts on star trek the wrath of khan go chris it's a timeless classic uh, absolutely absolutely ed it, it was okay <laughs> <laughs> i think for, for, I, first of all the whole idea for this episode came from ed so I think it's a little better than okay in your opinion. I think out of five cons, I give it, I give it seven. <laughs> yeah. seven, cons. seven. Seven out of five. Seven cons! Cons! <laughs> oh, I'd give it seven Eds out of a one to seven. Oh, scale. my oh, gosh. Wow. We're, going, we're digging deep. Going wow. to the YouTubes. Wow. Seven Eds. I like it. Okay, cool. Shut your face. Um, the, you know, it's <laughs> funny. Um, I, one of my other favorite uh, uh, properties out there is Seinfeld. YouTube. Seinfeld. I love Seinfeld. On YouTube? Um, I watch Seinfeld on YouTube. I don't think he's there, but I'll watch him if he is. And uh, one of the things that I really like is in the uh, seventh or eighth episode, I think it's the eighth episode, Beginner, um, George's, um, uh, <laughs> George has accidentally uh, killed his fiance with the, the glue from the, from the wedding invitations. She, she died because she licked the toxic glue. And they're standing above her grave in the opener of that season eight, uh, and they're talking about Wrath of Khan. They're talking about this movie and how great it was. They can't shed a tear for George's uh, fiance who has passed away, but they sure have a, a moment about when Spock dies in Wrath of Khan, and I just think that's comedy gold. That is awesome. I've never seen um, Seinfeld. Uh, I've seen maybe three or four episodes. That's ridiculous. I but no, you will see all of Seinfeld. That is absolutely ridiculous. Whatever, it's a stupid show. No, you're, anyway, you're um, stupid for saying. <laughs> I, I need to look that up. Though. Yeah, that's, it's that's a great because later on in the episode, George does the con thing. He does the con screen. Seinfeld. Uh, Seinfeld. Yeah, season eight. Okay. Uh, and and they do the the uh, dolly shot from the top with George screaming con. It's really good. It's it's great because the movie gets George into trouble later on. Of course, the movie. Yeah, the the Wrath of Khan. That I'm not going to ruin it for you, but it gets him in trouble with oh, his in laws. You haven't ruined anything. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's good it's, stuff. It's, it's no, 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 no. Seinfeld is would definitely be a spoiler. You need to watch yourself. Okay. Moving along. Moving along. As we close down Rathacon, great conversation on that one today, boys. We're gonna uh, want to talk a little bit about the summer movie previews and things that are going to pique our interest this summer. Uh, we're into the second week of June. Um, first thing out on the list is um, uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Oh, I can't read your can't read handwriting at all. at all. Chris I can, I can barely read doctor. it. Yeah, ju- I, that's exactly what I was going to was Jurassic it's, it's out World today, Dominion. Is it out? It's is yeah. it, or yesterday it was Yes well it's out this weekend. Right, right. right. Yeah. Saturday uh yesterday it was out. Um so I, I've actually asked Donnie if uh my, my son if he wanted to go watch it uh, that or Top Gun. So we'll see what he responds. My daughter said she wanted to see it, so I think I'll take Aaron and, and maybe maybe we'll take Angie to go see it as well. I don't know if she'll be down for it, but uh uh that's coming out. We've got Thor, Love and Thunder, which I'm very hyped about, very excited about. Love Taika Waititi and I love the way he does Thor. Uh, and the just the trailer and the preview looks really good. 
Also, um, uh, what do you guys think of the new uh, look or the new take on Buzz Lightyear? I can take it or leave I can, it. I can, I can leave it. I guess I'm the animation fan out of all of us. Like, I love animation. I can't wait for, for Buzz Lightyear. I used to be that way. I love Isn't all the Pixar. I love the Pixar. And I, 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 the last Pixar movie I watched, I was with my wife and, her fa- and some of her family up in Oklahoma. We watched, um, I think it was called Soul. Oh, oh yeah, the it, was fan, it was fantastic. It was it great. Was great. Yeah, I that love, was a freaking excellent movie. Yeah. It was. I love it, and I haven't really seen a bad pick. Well, maybe like car, like Cars Two wasn't that great, but oh, I see. I even enjoyed uh, that. But yeah. you know, I haven't really seen a bad Pixar movie that re- really just. I jumped. haven't. It was yeah. just you know, I we didn't enjoy Cars Two that much, but it wasn't okay. like that it was bad. You know, it, was it just, just wasn't your uh, thing. Well, I, I like at, at, I measured it especially by my kids loved cars. The first one, oh, I see. Up when they were I babies, see. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it was like, well, the kids didn't really care for it, and I was kind of bored. You know, gotcha. I couldn't even vicariously enjoy it. Gotcha, that. gotcha. But it doesn't mean it was a bad. It, it sucked. It just mean it didn't do. It wasn't. Much it wasn't for your me. cup of tea. But yeah, it, got it. it wasn't a bad movie. And I, like I haven't seen a bad Pixar movie. But th- and this one, does, like I said, I can take it or leave it. But I don't know if as I get older, the an- like just watching anything with animation. Starts to drive me nuts. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I, I love animation. I love, uh, and, and one of the shows I want us to do is about um, uh, the the series, the the story collection of animation that they do on Netflix. It's called um, uh, Sex Robots Death. I think is what the what the show's called. Have you guys watched this at all? No. Okay. So this is your homework uh, for this for this coming week. Um, these are these are uh, there's three seasons on Netflix, um, sex, love, and ro- sex robots death, something like that. Um, they're all animated or or have an animation component to them. Some of them are live action, but they've got animated components in them. They are little vignette science fiction stories in the vein of um, the Outer Limits or the uh, Twilight Zone. More Outer Limits because of the sci-fi aspect to a lot of the stories, but they are exceptional. What's it called? It's called uh, Love... Robot's Death. Yeah, Love, Robot, Death, or Sex, Robot, Death, something like that. Sex, Robots, and Death. Something like that. Sexy, Deathy, Robots. Something similar to Sexy, Deathy, Robots. What's it on? Netflix. It's on Sex. It is... But uh, also about Deadly Robots. there's There's a... There's three seasons. There... 12 to 30 minute stories, okay. uh, depending. And one of the uh, really great episodes is about... Is these. it about death? It kind of, yeah. Robots. It's a, robots. It's about three robots. Sex seven robots. Are they having sex with each other? No, not in this episode. However, however, they have come to Earth after humanity's been wiped away, and they are trying to learn about Earth, and it's just this funny kind of uh, conversation they have about what killed the aliens and so, or what killed the earthlings and so on. At any rate, I don't want to get too far into it. You guys have got to go watch this. I know what you're saying about animation, Chris, but this is animation done for adults. None of these stories are for kids. Is it about the distant future? The year 2000? I think that's some of it, yeah. The year two thousand. Are, are you two thousand? Remember when the year? Remember when we were kids? <laughs> the year two thousand was so far away, and that was we were going to have flying cars. Where's my flying car? Damn it! Flying cars, robots everywhere. Yeah, I know. Two years over. So I, I bring that up because it, it's a it's a song by Flight of the Concords. 
It's about it's their robot. Love Flight of the Concords. So there's another movie that was coming out that I I kind of wanted to see based on the the first trailer that came out, but then a new one came out this last week and I watched it. Now I'm not sure, but it's called Nope. And I finally saw the trailer of that. Did you see the first trailer or the second? One? I saw the second one. Yeah, I don't know what to think of that movie now. Is it comedy? Is it? It, it is. Okay. Remember what Jamie said last week. That guy, the the director right. of that, who, uh, which Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, yeah. he's he leans big into the satire. So they are comedies, but satirical comedy. So they're not yuck yuck. Comedies. So if you saw the they're, first trailer, the first trailer made it look like, wow, we're gonna get this tense kind of scary signs ish, right? You know, uh, alien invasion or alien something. Movie. And I think that's part of it. And I then, do think yeah. that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, this one had a uh, decisively different tone, so I was kind of surprised by that. But yeah, I might, I might that one. Uh, that one also looks like one that might be worth checking out. Yeah, for sure, that one looks good. Um, there's also uh, is is MI five? Is that what it is? Where we're at now? Is that coming? Mission out? Impossible. Yeah, Mission Impossible. Next, that's next year. Oh, it's next yeah. year. Okay, that'll I just be that'll be that'll be part seven, and then there's a part eight. They've been filming those back to back. Right, yeah. right. And I really enjoy those movies. Not a huge Tom Cruise fan, but I do like those movies. So there's another movie that we haven't really talked about that's coming out on Hulu in August, and I'm freaking excited as hell for this. What is because it? I, it's called Prey, <gasps> and it's a new Predator movie. I am too, and, uh, and I am so ready for them to do a good friggin' Predator again, man. So we had Predator One, which is great. Excellent. Predator Two was okay. I disagree. Predator Two was a great film. Well, as well. I, I, one of these days we'll talk about Predator, and in I'll tell the, you why it's just okay. And I'll tell you why it's great. And I mean this in the best satirical, ham-fisted, tongue-in-cheek way. That movie is a quintessential 90s movie. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. also uh, It also lifted a ton of stuff from the Dark Horse comics that came yes. out three years before. Yes. Yeah. And having read the Dark Horse stuff first, I was able to pick apart. That's cool, because so, I did not read those. So yeah, yeah. We, could, we, we could talk through that one day. But then For we sure. had Predators, which I, I really didn't mind. I didn't mind Predators either. But the newest one, the Predator, was freaking awful. Brutal. And it was so what a bad. letdown because Shane Black, who was actually in the first Predator, he was one oh, of the Oh, wait, characters. wait, wait. I'm getting these mixed up. Okay. Predators was Robert Rodriguez. Love that and one. And that's Love the one that where one. with... Uh, where they drop him on the planet. Yeah. Yep. That one was good. The Predator was made by Shane Black, and that's the one that... The most recent one. Okay. Where this is the one I like. I'm talking about AVP. Oh, AVP? No. That, I don't like that those either. That schlocky horror flick that they tried... That teen horror flick they tried to pull off. Uh, Re AVP Requiem. Yes, that, yes. No, that was a turn. That was garbage. The new one, I, I get you. A lot of people hated that film. I did not understand why that was so awful. It was just a good action flick we to me. We should totally do a thing on Predator. Definitely, definitely. I love, I love the Predator. I do too, I do too. And there was, a, there was a Dark Horse series that it looks like they're taking some ideas from where the Predator took on some Native Americans. Yes. And, uh, and the really cool thing about this movie that I read, so I watched this trailer, and I was kind of like, I'm, I'm with it, except that I don't like the fact that a lot of these Native American characters are speaking perfect English. And I look, I'm not, I noticed that too. There's actually a cut of the movie that when it comes out on, on Hulu is going to have the entire audio track in the native Tongue? Comanche language. Interesting. And so it's like, yes, you get this English version that we're seeing in the trailers. Just for watchability. But if you want the, if you want like the ultimate experience of it, you can watch it with, with subs. Totally. Yeah. With subs and a totally different audio track. That's amazing. And that was something that the director said he really wanted to do is literally release a movie in 
with Native American tongue. It's like the full. That's the way I want to watch it. He's doing the apocalypto thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's as much Native tongue as possible. That's the way I want to watch it. And that's I was awesome. Like, wow, that's cool. But it's also a Predator movie, and it's a Predator movie that looks good. It does. It's going to give something different than what we've seen yeah. before. So I'm really curious. And the, the, the trailer of it. That I, I there was I, I watched the leaked version of the trailer with this bear and it looked like this That's bear so was good. the size of um, the bear looked like it was the size of that one off in that Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh movie. yeah 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 yeah. You know where that just messes up Leonardo DiCaprio and it's like chasing this girl and then all of a sudden it just pulls she, back and she rolls up into this yeah. beaver dam. Yep. And the bear's basically about to break through the beaver dam and get her and then all of a sudden. It just dies. It's pulled out, and then you just see this thing throw it over its shoulder <laughs> and walk <away>. off. <laughs> and the yeah. predator's all cloaked, so you don't, yeah. you can't tell, or she yeah. certainly can't tell what it is. She just knows something killed that big ass bear and saved your life. But she didn't know. To like, yeah. well, you just literally throw it over his shoulder like we would a moving box, right? It looks, right, uh, it and so walks cool. off with it. Yeah, so it looks I'm, good. I'm actually really hyped for that. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. That one looks good. I, I, I don't think I understood it was. Um, a Hulu series. I guess well, I got that, but I it's missed it. It's oh, it's a movie, movie. on yeah. Hulu. Okay, yeah. that's what that's what it was. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Uh, that one looks great. Yeah. So then on the streaming, so do we have any other big movies coming out? You know, honestly, movie-wise, we're kind of light this summer, and I think that's part of it's because we're still kind of pandemic, just out of the yeah. pandemic, and, and movie watchers are just finally kind of going back. Um, um, and, and COVID's not 100% gone, uh, and it's not going to be, but... Um, I, I think that's there's the the theaters are still trying to kind of come back from that a bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, but very 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 interesting stuff. Um, it's going to be a good summer, I think. It's going to be a light summer, but I think between streaming and the theaters, we're going to have plenty to talk about. And then we got we also got some news from Star Wars Celebration that Star Wars Celebration. Those guys went off. Did you guys did you watch all of the sessions? I watched many of them. How, how did you enjoy it? I liked it. Yeah, I yeah. This I thought it was good. Great, great stuff. So well, yeah, and you know what? I, I'm always cautiously optimistic with Star Wars. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I hope they're coming out with as good. I don't uh, just, think just all just of like, them are going to be great. Just like I, I just I've, looking at them. Yeah. Just like I've hoped Obi Wan Kenobi was going to be good. I don't really want to talk about this with either of you because I could not well, disagree with either of you more. Well, we'll get we'll get to Obi Wan. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We've got two more freaking episodes, and that's not true. We've got no, two more episodes and another and season, season well, pop, probably. Before, this was all going to be completed Limited. within yeah. one season. I don't think that was ever the plan. I do. I think right You really now, think that I, that I, was the plan I think at the Disney? lip service was that. That they, that they were really going to say, ah, we'll pass on more money. I, I think, I th no, of course not. Well, that, that's but what I'm saying. I think the expectation was that we can, we can do this whole Kenobi thing within one season. Our expectation was that. No, well, I don't they, think they announced it as a, li as a limited series, but the whole thing, I think, is coming back to, hey, money, money talks and yep. bullshit walks, right? Yep. And Obi-Wan has done yeah. very well for Disney+. Plus. But along your point, Ed, oh, like... You guys heard me talk about how much I look forward to Obi-Wan. The one I wasn't looking forward to, really, didn't wasn't not looking forward yeah. to, I had no opinion on it, was Andor. And the trailer for Andor looks really freaking good. It, that falls, that show... it falls in the Bad Batch category for me as well. Much like you're saying, Chris, I wasn't like looking forward to it. It wasn't something I had to see. However, once I saw the Bad Batch... It was. I love that show. I love, and I think Andor is going to be the same way. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely looks like a sleeper show. Yeah, that, you know, looks pretty good. Like uh, some of, some of the stuff, Skeleton Crew. Yeah, I'm not not jazz on that. There's some other I, titles. That, there was one that was interesting called Young Jedi Adventures. Ugh. 
and or, or that was an animated one that's supposed to have like they're bringing uh, Liam Neeson back to well, voice Gone. Do all. it right. Uh, yeah. And if you're I, not going to do it right, don't do it. Uh, is Skeleton Crew the one that's going to be the Amblin Disney yeah. uh, 80s Goonies influence? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure I, you know, the premise one. of that definitely is intriguing. I'm curious to what they're going to do. Um, I think maybe I'm, I'm bringing my own um, uh, stuff to that. Maybe I, I need to just chill and, and watch it. Goonies and Star in the Star Wars. Yeah, movies. yeah. That could be a little weird. And then we got a Bad Batch Season 2 trailer. Cannot wait for Bad Batch Season 2. I have enjoyed that series so much and i that was not one that i thought i was going to enjoy but oh my gosh that is such a good show when that show when season two comes out we definitely need to spend a couple episodes on the bad bad oh absolutely yeah yeah, yeah totally sure. well i think we're going to close it down right there I, th I think we've talked through just about everything we want to talk through uh this episode great episode and and if you don't have a love for wrath please go watch it you will if, if you like sci-fi, you don't have to be a Star Trek fan. Um, you, you know, you don't even have to actually even be really a big sci-fi fan to really enjoy this film, in my opinion. It just has all of this pathos and this drama and these, these um, you know, one of the things Nicholas Myers did was he, he brought Star Trek back to a, what it was, which is a morality play. And, and these great characters kind of and, and their ideologies battling one another. And I think that's what we really can walk away um, uh, story-wise from Wrath of Khan with. Not to mention all of the other stuff we've discussed, which is how this movie really revitalized the entire franchise and, and made it um, or, or helped make it what it is today. Absolutely. Yeah. Can't, can't couldn't say anything more about this this movie yeah yeah i think we hit it pretty good say. this is this is the quintessential sci-fi um or one of the quintessential yeah. sci-fi um movies and and <clears throat> i i think it lays the groundwork along with uh lucas and and uh a couple of others like dune that'll be coming out in you know a year after this release was it 80 or 83 that dune was released uh 83 yeah so yeah. i mean this and you were right about this earlier, right? That this lays the groundwork for this golden age of sci-fi. Absolutely. And this is just a, a um, the a hallmark, I yeah. believe, of the Star Trek franchise, Wrath of Khan. It's just fantastic. Watch it's, it. It's it's worth a watch. It's it's really great. It's it's definitely one. Of, it's one of the reasons we have this podcast. It's one of the one of those pieces of work that really informed the three of us, and and got us me especially into star trek i think ed probably was already there and um uh, but we were young i mean it, it is we were young when it when it came out so good stuff well that's it for the geek culture cast this week i want to thank everybody for tuning in uh we want to also remind everybody to like subscribe hit us up on anchor.fm slash geek culture cast we're out there on Apple. Uh, we want to hear from you guys. Come uh, 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 put in your questions on the Anchor website. Uh, let us know what you think and what you feel. Listen, I just looked at the analytics today. We have our first listeners from the UK. Oh, yeah. I know, right? Right. right? And Australia. Awesome. So we're, we're the, the cast is getting around the world, and we could not be more happy about That's that. That's um, this is a this is a thank you so much labor of love for us and it is truly something we love to do so it's great when other people get to hear it and and we we dig that so that's going to close down episode nine of the geek culture cast we appreciate everybody listening wait for the next one it's coming up in one week 
and we'll talk to you then. Cheers and good day. Good day.